You, this is the Community and Economic Development Committee meeting. I assume you're all in the right place. At least we're in the right place. So um, can I ask the clerk to take the roll? Quattro? Present. Ortiz? Present. Kamei? Here. Vice Chair Torres? And Chair Foley? Here. Thank you. Thank you. Before we start our meeting, I'd uh, like to make two announcements. One, there's, uh, we have three I, uh, items today before this committee that will probably have a lot of discussion and a lot of public comment. So I will be limiting the public comment to one minute, and I'm kindly or humbly asking my colleagues to limit their uh, presentation to five minutes. We can turn back, come back around to you if you have more questions and more things to ask after the first five round, if that's acceptable. Um, with that, I'm moving to the review of the uh, work plan. We have two items that are, we are requesting deferral to the June 24th CED meeting. Both of these are a result of moving an item onto this agenda that was a time certain item. So uh, we'll go to members of the public to see if anyone has any, or if there are any public comments. We have no card submitted for public comment. Okay, great. Then going to my colleagues, is there any comments or a motion? I would move the work plan. Second. Great. Seeing no hands raised, let's vote. Batra? Can we just, do you want to do, okay. Can we, if we can do it that way? It's just quicker. <laughs> Great, that motion carries. Uh, we don't have a consent calendar. Moving on to the reports of the committee. The first item is the Housing Catalyst Team Work Plan, which is a status update. We have Jared Ferguson and Kristen Clemens here to make the presentation. Welcome. Jared Ferguson, Principal Planner with Planning, Building, and Code Enforcement, joined by Kristen Clements, Division Manager of the Housing Department. We're here today to provide you an update on the Housing Catalyst Team Work Plan. Uh, so first, some background. Um, to help our city's response to the housing crisis and better coordinate across multiple departments, in 2018, we established the Housing Catalyst team. And our team meets twice a month and is composed of staff from Planning, Building, and Code Enforcement, Housing Department, the Office of Economic Development and Cultural Affairs, and Parks, Recreation, and Neighborhood Services. In November of 2022, we had our final report on the housing crisis work plan that was set to conclude uh, at the start of 2023. And given our work on updating the housing element at the time, staff proposed the creation of a new housing catalyst team work plan. The catalyst team work plan would build on our experience gained during implementation of the housing crisis work plan and allow us to more closely align our work with our new housing element. In June of last year, the council adopted the housing element 
And later that month, uh, staff presented the CED committee with the first iteration of the Housing Catalyst team work plan. Then in August, we presented that work plan to the City Council. And lastly, of course, we were happy and relieved that HCD certified our housing element on January 29th. So as a quick refresher, our Catalyst team work plan is meant to complement and organize our housing element work. In our housing element, we have 125 work items that cover the eight-year period until 2031. And these work items are meant to address housing production, preservation, and protection. The Catalyst team work plan contains the near-term work, uh, near work items over, that, over the next two years, and it also provides an opportunity for staff to add additional housing-related work um, or, or from council. Part of our development of the Catalyst team work plan also included developing measures of impact and the effort required to complete the, the work. In attachment B, we've provided a detailed description of these measures, and they're intended to give you an estimate of the potential work, uh, potential impact a work item will have once it's completed. Depending on the type of item, that could be an estimate of the number of units resulting from a policy change or how a particular work item might impact preservation or protection. So for example, this could result in increases in eviction protection or uh, increases in number of affordable housing units preserved. We've tried to prioritize the work items based on impact and then level of effort. So the higher the impact and lower the effort, the higher an item will be on our work plan. Also in our work plan, we've added a column that identifies potential stakeholder groups um, that are interested in, in policy items. And this is in response to the recommendation from City Council in August. Oops, sorry. Oh, sorry, can you go back? <laughs> we've highlighted some of our work plans in our, uh, some of the key work items in our report. And we talk about these items in depth in our memo, so I'll try to quickly go through these. Um, just to orient you, the letter and number references here and in the work plan are the ones utilized in the housing element also. The first item, P24, is on housing on public, quasi-public lands. The state's provided a new pathway through Senate Bill 4 for affordable housing on PQP lands by allowing it on properties owned by re religious institutions and nonprofit colleges. Additionally, we will be bringing forward a change to our zoning ordinance to align the definition of, afford of permanent supportive housing uh, with state law. Next, another key item on our work plan this year is our city infill housing ministerial approval ordinance. And our goal, uh, this is to allow multifamily housing to be approved more quickly without a hearing. And uh, we intend to start work uh, soon on this, uh, probably in April. And um, we'll work on what types of projects this approval process would apply to, and also the standards that would apply to those projects. Uh, item P35, uh, is our small multifamily housing, and this will look at, allow at allowing additional opportunities for middle density housing, so four to 10 units on um, locations throughout the city. And the first step that we wanna take is, is really to look at the financial feasibility of these types of uh, middle density housing. And we wanna do this through our next cost of development report. So we would look at um, different prototypes and configurations and uh, having that uh, economic feasibility will help inform our policy work on this. And P37 um, is looking at CEQA analysis, an analysis for our urban village plans. 
Um, in our report, we've tried to outline some of the pros and cons to completing CEQA analyses with our urban village plans. The advantage of this is obviously the potential time savings for individual projects uh, in the future as they come forward. However, the main trade-off is the time and cost for completing these plans. And you know, staff is a bit more inclined to try to produce more urban village plans rather than, than fewer, with, uh, fewer urban village plans with the CEQA analysis, analysis completed. Um, and then next, P40, uh, kind of related, we have outlined some of our future strategies and initial evaluation of the urban village planning process. We've already done, we've already taken some steps to shorten completion times of our plans uh, by relying on our citywide design guidelines. Um, but we've also outlined some strategies for expediting um, village plans in the future. Uh, for example, looking at all the, the Capitol Avenue light rail, um, urban villages, completing those urban village plans together. And another uh, example of a strategy uh, would be looking at our, our very small neighborhood urban villages and maybe creating a uh, policy framework that would guide the future development of those urban village plans rather than completing individual uh, urban uh, village plans for each of those. And uh, lastly, um, the pro-housing designation. We've been working with HCD over the last uh, two months to obtain our pro-housing designation. Um, this uh, uh, was approved by the City Council in June, uh, our application was. And so there are two items, P23 and P P40, that relate to the, that pro-housing designation. Now I'll hand it over to Kristen. Thanks, Jared. I know we're trying to do a quick overview, so I'll just note that this slide highlights several key work items that help to, to prevent residential displacement. But the items that are actually derived from our anti-displacement strategy, you can see in attachment A, we added a column to the right to indicate if that maps directly to the anti-displacement strategy. Um, some others are added here because they're of note. Um, first, the preservation NOFA that we issued in late October for $5 million, that um, is in process. We're evaluating additional information that we requested from respondents. The Community Development Capacity Building Grants, item N4, is also in progress. We issued a NOFA in October for $1 million that we'd received from the Google Community Benefits um, payment. And we received eight responses and are moving through the award process now. For the Mobile Home Parks General Plan designation, one of everyone's favorites, that is underway. In December, the City Council approved the General Plan Amendment for 13 higher priority par parks and the remainder of the parks are expected to be to council with amendments by the end of this fiscal year. Tenant and landlord resource centers and code violations reporting, planning work is on this item, is underway on this item, which will start next year or later this year. Eviction prevention activities focusing on the courts, S12. Um, in 2023, city staff and partner agencies held 50 weekly courthouse workshops to help people going through the system and help stabilize 188 households to remain stably housed. Um, and we, um, staff fielded over 5,400 phone calls and walk-ins trying to help people who were um, housing unstable. Finally, we were able, with the help of the Office of Intergovernmental Relations, to get a $2 million earmark to continue the eviction diversion program through the state's 2023 budget. 
Finally, local enforcement of state tenant protections, item S32. Staff again worked with IGR to support Senate Bill 567 last year. And this extended the state's just cause eviction protections and anti-rent spiking laws that were from 2018 in Assembly Bill 1482. This bill does now allow cities and counties to help enforce state rent caps. And so staff is working with the CAO to determine the best path forward uh, and next steps after the law goes into effect April 1st. And um, before we go, we wanted to make sure that you saw the housing production numbers. Um, this chart on housing production is the same as you will be seeing in the city's annual progress report for the new six-cycle housing element. Note that this six-cycle housing element started on February 1st, and so this data is from 11 months rather than 12. You can see the RENA goal of 62,200 units over eight years, broken into annual goals by income category, and those are the orange bars. The blue bars show how many building permits were issued in the 11 months of 2023 for each category. For all categories, permits for 2,927 units were issued versus the goal of 7,775, approximately 38% of our goal. And for affordable units, extremely low, very low, low and mod income. Permits for 1,708 units were issued the goal was 4,311, so we hit about 40% of the goal. For next steps on this report, we're going to bring the report to the Housing and Community Development Commission on Thursday, March 14th. The timing didn't work out for us to go before um, this committee hearing, but we are asking for a cross-reference today of this report to the March 19th City Council meeting where the report will be heard along with the Housing Element Annual Progress Report. To respond to Council's feedback and request for us to better keep stakeholders informed of our progress ongoing, planning is in the process of launching a Power BI dashboard so that progress can be noted in, in between reports officially out to uh, our bodies um, on the work plan items and staff's work on them. And of course, staff is going to be continuing to move forward the many, many work items in the housing element, um, in the housing catalyst work plan. And the goal is to achieve the milestones that are synced up with the housing element. And with that, we are happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Great, thank you for that presentation. Do we have any public comments? We had one card submitted for Emily on Ramos. If you can make your way down to the podium, you will have one minute to speak. Thank you. Do I start now? Yes, I start now. Hi. Um, thank you so much. My name is Emily Ann Ramos with SB at Home, and we are happy that San Jose now has a certified housing element. Yay! Um, and now we get to work on our plan to solve the housing crisis uh, here. Um, one thing to note in the staff report, it goes over how important the local implementation of state protections are, but marks that there's going to be difficult to staff or budgeting for it. Um, 
So SB 567 is a very important law and it allows cities and counties to enforce uh, the state protections. So we understand that there's some work, there's some stuff to work out with the state law, but it's important to note that when a renter seeks help from city or the city's program, it could come from more than our limited rent stabilization units. And uh, we would hope that it, it's added to the plan uh, that staff is well equipped to help those residents with their state protections as well when they're not covered by uh, the Back to the committee. Thank you. Uh, Council Member Ortiz. Thank you, uh, Madam Chair. I want to start by thanking staff for their hard work to implement the variety of tools we'll need to address uh, this housing crisis head on. I'm particularly encouraged to see serious progress being made in areas that will make a difference for our working families, such as mobile tenant resource clinics um, and, economic, and an economic analysis on opportunities for the missing middle housing. I do just have um, some questions. In the section of the memo discussing opportunities to streamline urban village planning, um, staff mentions shortened timelines for smaller urban villages for outreach and combining smaller uh, urban villages in geographical areas to one overall process. Um, areas uh, along Capitol Avenue in, in my district along the light rail were used as an example. I wanted to ask, does staff have a vision for what the community input process uh, will look like in these cases? <clears throat> no, that's, I mean, part of the work would be to develop a community outreach strategy for that area. I think the, the key difference, whatever that looks like, is that instead of doing one urban village plan with one um, engagement process that's unique to that village, um, for each of the stations along Capitol, that would be a, head, a lot of work. The idea is to combine the stations that are all next to each other, like a chain of uh, a string of pearls, if you will, on East Capitol, and do one planning process for them collectively. So the outreach process, whatever it might be, three workshops, focus groups, whatever that looks like, would be would be um, doing outreach for all of the plans for all of those villages combined, as opposed to individually. Great, no, and I appreciate it. I know we need to do a lot of work when it comes to streamlining um, housing and streamlining mechanisms that support housing. Uh, I just wanna make sure we're um, not sacrificing any community outreach that is important, um, especially in our um, vulnerable communities. Um, and then second question, um, can you confirm if I read this right, at present there is no funding mechanism for local enforcement and education on the expanded tenant rights under SB 567? Um, thank you, council member. That bill did not come with any resources for state or for city or county agencies to help enforce. Mm -hmm. um, and because our rent stabilization programs are 100% cost recovery just to implement our ordinances, um, we think that if our staff's work went too much beyond um, publicizing the state law on our website and having staff able to answer questions that come up on the phone, if we wanted to do something more um, than that, it would take additional resources to kind of reach out, partly because the state law covers a slightly different group of buildings than our own ordinances. Okay, no, thank you, appreciate that. Any other questions? Moving on to Council Member Torres. 
Thank you so much for the presentation, and I uh, move to cross-reference D1 to the March 19th City Council meeting. Second. Thank you. Any comments? Count, uh, Vice Mayor Kamei. Thank you. Um, you know, one of the things, thank you for the report. <clears throat> I think that many of the strategies are, are critically important, and uh, I look forward to um, uh, the, the outcomes of, of everything you have here. One of the things that, you know, obviously is um, <laughs> very clear is on your chart for housing production, we didn't even get to half. And so I, I kind of didn't see, you know, like any strategies to, to have housing production. And I know that, you know, obviously the NOFAs help and, uh, and that uh, assists in the building of new, but I'm just wondering uh, what's the plan on housing production, or at least to try to, to move it a little bit because we didn't even get to half. Thank you, Vice Mayor. And I think you're noting the inherent um, challenge with citing our arena goals, for which we really need to show that we have capacity for all those units and actually achieving the production. For affordable housing, of course, the major constraint is funding resources, not just of our funds, but also the supply of low-income housing tax credits and bond allocation. That is per federal law uh, gauged, you know, capped at our per our population. So that's going to be an inherent um, cap on really what we can do. However, you know, the more local resources that we've got. Uh, the more efficiently those federal resources can be used in different ways. So um, we had worked with IGR to, um, to support the federal bill that would increase the yield of the credits that we've already got in the system nationally. So we're really hoping that that will come through. Finally, it's been a bill repeatedly introduced year after year. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, we need to be a little bit more aggressive and when you look at the numbers on uh, very and extremely low income units, uh, you know, boy, it would be really great to be able to increase towards the lower end, the low income units, even the moderate, but uh, certainly the very uh, and extremely low uh, units. I mean, it makes such a big difference in the lives of the people who this can help. And uh, if there's any way to be more aggressive uh, I think that's going to be really important. And for, for us on council, it should be something that we can assist with. Thank you. Thank you. We feel the same way. Thank you. Thank you for the Thank presentation uh, uh, and all of the detail included in it. I'm uh, particularly interested in the CEQA analysis and how you might be able to uh, come back to us with a proposal for streamlining CEQA. That's one of the things that delays the process of, of the development project, whether it be affordable or market rate. And if we can uh, condense the timelines, then that, that limits the, the time is money philosophy as it relates to the development, whether it be affordable housing or it be market rate housing. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about that. I have a lot of questions and I'll actually reserve most of them for the council meeting in a couple of weeks. But will, 
regarding CEQA, are you considering how you might be able to streamline it within, within the law? Right, so um, I think, so you have to keep in mind that there are always, if you have an approved urban village plan, there's always a process to move forward with housing development. It's a matter of how much CEQA you have to do. And so the idea is if we do an EIR, we've covered a lot of the analysis a developer would have to do, and they could use that information to prepare a very streamlined CEQA process. So while we could do less CEQA, that there's less benefit to, for the developer to move forward quickly. So I think from staff is gonna to continue to explore funding opportunities. I think the, the, the challenge is, is many of the grants out there either don't provide money for that or they do, but there's not enough money to do both the plan and the CEQA. And we're facing some funding headwinds internally in terms of our revenue. And so I think from staff's position, while we'll continue to uh, look at ways we can fund CEQA, I think it would be much more in a strategic approach in terms of where do we see a village that we're likely to see develop in the near term and if we did a full-blown EIR that could actually help move the needle and get the development happening there sooner rather than doing them in all villages. In some, our idea is it's better that Seekwood in and of itself does not create opportunities for housing. The preparation of Urban Village Plan does. So we'd like to focus more on getting more of these plans in place and done as opposed to doing less of them and doing full-blown sequel on the one that we do. That being said, again, once there, if there is a village where we think that there's the market's prime and ready to go and it makes sense to do um, CEQA, then we would want to pursue the money for that. I will say that's kind of where we are currently with the current funding situation. We're continuing, we're going to continue to look for ways that we can fund, um, you know, CEQA for all of our urban village plans. If I could just add to there, there's kind of two two strategies here. So there's the CEQA analysis for urban villages, and then there's also the city infill ministerial approval ordinance. And projects that would utilize that pathway could be eligible for uh, CEQA streamlining. So that that's a key component of of that process as well. Of the city infill. Yes. That leads me to yes. the infill. Thank you. Kristen, did you? I just wanted to add a fun fact. Uh, we talked to a consultant today. They said the city of LA's streamlining process that cuts down on the CEQA, is my understanding, actually for them resulted in some units that were, more units that were naturally affordable for moderate income residents. So I think that's really interesting and we're gonna be connecting with them to learn some more lessons as staff starts that streamlining work. Interesting, I look forward to, to learning more about that. Regarding the city infill, you're going to uh, create some standards for these infill projects. Are you, what kind of things are you looking at? Are you looking at density, characteristics of the surrounding neighborhood, square footage of the homes in the surrounding neighborhood? What, uh, what other standards might you be considering with that? And will you be coming back to us or to council directly? Yeah, so I think all those things that you mentioned could be under consideration. I think one key component also is maybe perhaps the level of affordable units required also to take advantage of that pathway. Um, and anything that we propose would need to come back to the city council for uh, approval. And um, we, we could consider also reporting back to the committee as well if that was something that you were interested in. Um, but I think it's something we're keen to move on pretty quickly. So I think initially we were thinking we would try to come back to city council when, when we're ready. 
And, okay. and part of that process would be outreach as well. So we would look to get input on terms of standards and everything else so people would be informed of what we were considering as we were going through that process. I will just add, though, in terms of a ministerial process for market rate type of housing, I mean, the thought is it's where housing is currently allowed now in the general plan. So there are standards in place now. For example, if you wanted to do a project on the Stevens Creek Urban Village or the South Baskin Urban Village or downtown, we already have design standards built into the downtown already and in those urban village plans. We also have citywide design standards. So I think the idea is, you know, not that there couldn't be more standards that the council would want to talk about, or we could, you know, we could consider that, but the idea is that we'd be using the standards that have already been developed through the individual planning process for a given site. Great, and, and regarding the urban village planning process, you're evaluating that and hope to bring that to council sometime in 2025? Will you be looking at eliminating urban villages? I, I think I think we set 2025. I mean, it might be sooner, depending on when we get we get completed with some of the recent plans that we're working on right now. Um, I think we would probably look to outline additional strategies within the context of, of this report, potentially. Um, and then I think as we, we look to do the individual processes for some of those villages that we discussed, you know, we would, we would talk about those, uh, the outreach process like Michael was talking about before we started the work and talk about, you know, with the council as well. So. Yeah, at this point, I, you know, we did in the last free review look at eliminating urban villages and the council did eliminate a, a few of them. but. Generally, right, uh, our approach is not to eliminate any more urban villages. Um, it is more about how can you do the planning process for the villages that we have that is um, less, you know, that is um, that is more streamlined and, and involves less staff work. And primarily, the idea of um, consolidating the villages that we have left into, into combined planning processes. Most of the villages that we have left, not all, but most of them tend to be very much smaller than the Stephen Creeks, the Winchester Boulevards. There are some exceptions. There's South Bascom South and there's De Anza, so those would probably be their own separate process. But the, many of the remainder of them, or most of the remainder of them, are very small. They're an intersection. Okay, great. Um, two final questions. One is about the pro-housing designation. I, I realize we just submitted for that in, was it this month or, yeah, we're still in February. Uh, how long does the process take and when are we likely to hear whether we're, we receive that designation? The, um, the designation, I think it takes as long as the state believes that it takes. Um, we have satisfied all of their uh, material questions about um, our programs and what we would, what kind of score that that would merit, and it definitely puts us near the top of other cities. And I think beyond that, um, I don't know if anyone else has a comment about uh, procedure and the state. So it's going to take as long as it takes the state. It takes as yeah. long okay. as it takes. There's no real bureaucracy. Kind of like the housing timeline. bureaucracy. <laughs> nothing moves quickly. They've been very responsive in turning around our drafts, and I wanted to, you know, acknowledge their team publicly for being highly responsive and trying to tee up also additional funding uh, possibilities for us if we could get through the process speedily. So it was very nice of them. Great, thank you. Um, and uh, really happy to see that the mobile home park designation is still included and always top of mind and, and continues 
to be top of mind until we uh, redesignate all of those parcels. That'll be, that's great. Final question I had is about the eviction diversion program. This seems like a really good program, but how is it implemented and are those one-time funds? Yeah, good question, thank you. And my colleague Emily Hislop is here who oversees that program. She can state better how it works. But it, it definitely was operating with one-time funds um, during COVID and then this federal earmark or the state earmark that we've obtained. Maybe Emily could briefly go over how the program works. No, push it, there you go. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Um, this is really a targeted program. We have staff that go into court during the eviction calendar um, to talk to landlords, tenants, um, to see if they'd be eligible. The, I think Kristen covered the funding, so we did have, initially we had some federal funds and then we um, had some Measure E, and for next year it will be this uh, state earmark that will continue to fund it. Um, somebody has to be able to pay rent going forward. Um, so we do sort of an income analysis to see, um, and we, or they have to have some viable path towards stable housing. Landlord has to agree to enter into an agreement that drops the eviction lawsuit. And um, we have limits in place of how much we'll cover. Sometimes we work with the homelessness prevention system, so um, a tenant household might be enrolled in that. Um, and we'll cover the back rent, but they'll get some assistance going forward. Okay, great. So the, the two million earmark, it's for fiscal year 24-25. Okay, good to know. All right, that, that's it for me. I have a lot more questions, but I'll save those for the council meeting. Uh, and I see no other hands raised, so let's vote. Thank you, that motion carries. Next report is on the anti-displacement tenant preference and neighborhood tenant preferences for affordable housing. It's a draft program status report. Kristen, I think you're up again. I get to stay here, thank you for having me. Uh, Kristen Clements, I'm a division manager overseeing our policy and planning work. And joining me are Rachel Vanderveen, uh, our assistant manager, did I say that the right way? assistant director, and then um, Chris Alexander from the city attorney's office. I wanted to acknowledge first before I start, the CAO's office, first Shasta Green and then Chris, both, um, both added tremendously to this work over many years. It was a complete joint effort um, between our teams. So with that, um, Today, I'm here to present our proposed program for tenant preferences that help mitigate displacement, and they pertain only to affordable housing properties. Would you make it to my Thanks. Next slide. Thanks. We have been working on these tenant preferences development to fight displacement for quite a while. Um, Councilmember Magdalena managed to get City Council to vote on this as a priority in 2017 and staff started working on it in 2018. We teamed with three community nonprofits in a national peer learning cohort sponsored by PolicyLink for 14 months together. And that team doing that cohort together created this 
Community Strategy Report Ending Displacement here in early 2020. Tenant preferences were listed in this community report. It has been prioritized continually by the community in community meetings and other stakeholders. Um, this is especially true given Mayfair's experience in its lease-up, the property to the upper right pictured here, sponsored by RCD. It is a lovely property, and it is actually where Somos Mayfair has its offices now. Um, Ketzel Gardens was built and had three, about 3,000 applications for 42 affordable apartments for the general public. So the ratio was about 70 to 1 for each apartment. Um, and unfortunately, none of the 350 local residents who had prepared and worked with RCD about how to fill out applications, got, you know, got guidance in Spanish as well as English. None of them were able to access the property at first lease-up, and um, although a couple did as units became vacant. But this, this is like the poster child for what happens when there's over-demand and why we need another kind of policy to help the community that's local and vulnerable to be served by our properties. Um, of course, this work was included in the citywide residential displacement strategy also from 2020, and it got brought into the housing element for the sixth cycle. It is item 620 in the housing element. Um, staff has also been working with other cities across the Bay Area, uh, San Francisco, Oakley, Oakland, Berkeley. They all have different types of anti-displacement tenant preferences. And many jurisdictions have other preferences. So this is not a new um, kind of thing to put in place. We just had never had them before. What we're bringing forward is more targeted than simply having a live or work preference for our residents. It's still helping our local residents, but it's more targeted than that. Um, and of course, all preferences must be grounded very carefully in fair housing law at the federal and the state level, as my attorney always tells me. Next slide. So the city's goals really in this work are to help prevent displacement of lower income renters from San Jose and increase the likelihood that they're able to stay in San Jose and access affordable housing. We want to make the best use of our scarce publicly funded affordable housing and this is definitely trying to increase fair housing choices in the city's duty to affirmatively further fair housing for its residents. The city's doing this work. Um, it is also in the public interest to make sure that residents are able to keep their existing community-based safety nets and stabilize the housing where they are. Uh, this proposal, we think, is targeted, it's tangible, and it's an efficient use of, the, of our limited resources. Next slide. So creating tenant preferences that are legal to help mitigate displacement um, required several steps. And um, I think this committee has gotten updates throughout our process, but we were able to co-sponsor State Bill 649, which was signed by the governor in 2022. It was also co-sponsored by Somos Mayfair and the Housing Action Coalition. This law took effect in 2023. Chris was one of the principal author, author, uh, authors of the bill <laughs> with staff. The new law recognizes residents who are at risk of displacement as a population that's officially recognized under state law. 
and therefore it allows affordable housing properties that use bonds and or tax credits to um, allow tenant preferences to be used. So it was a necessary kind of gate that we had to get through. Staff created extensive analysis to meet, to make sure our preferences met fair housing requirements. We call this disparate impact analysis. Um, and we, we did the analysis like three different ways with three different methodologies and lots of different scenarios tested. Um, you can see all the protected classes that we looked at the data for and saw and tried to determine if this preference with its lower income residents population would somehow skew the underlying population of the city. So we wouldn't want to create something, for instance, that really mainly served only women-headed households, as an example, right? We have to make sure that there's no disparate impact either against or for a particular population unless it is legally warranted that we need to help uh, certain kinds of people for certain <coughs> reasons. And that's all about the legal findings that will be in the resolution. For the neighborhood preference uh, criteria, we looked at different um, proximities of particular affordable housing properties and where residents might live, and um, one mile, two mile, and we ended up with a council district being the definition of neighborhood because they're larger and they're more diverse, and therefore the, um, the disparate impact analysis came out much more easily than for smaller areas that might have been more um, homogenous with one or one type of race or ethnicity. We also had to develop technology to help support the administration of the preferences. We'll talk more about this in a minute, but our doorway tenant uh, application portal actually had a module created by our consultant and with two other cities so that now if somebody applies and puts in their address, the system itself actually pops out whether they are in a qualifying census tract or council district or not. So. It, because we're so big, we really needed uh, that kind of assistance here. Of course, city council has to approve the program. And if we want to try to use the preferences on affordable housing deals that have state funding associated with it, HCD will have to approve as a lender. Now, we've been in touch with Berkeley. They just went through this process, and they actually got HCD to sign off on a building. And I think our background and work is better, and we have a simpler thing to analyze. So. I'm very heartened by that. Okay, next slide. Staff held outreach in 2018 and 2019, but the more active, the more recent outreach after we waited for a while for the city or, or for the state's blessing on our methodology, we decided to go forward uh, without that because they didn't, it didn't seem forthcoming. Um, we reanalyzed all of the data and presented our draft framework. We um, met with property owners and property managers. We met with other stakeholders and members of the public. We held two public meetings. Um, two developer roundtables. Thank you to SV at Home for helping us convene professionals in the affordable housing development world. Um, we had, then we had one-on-one -on -one meetings with other stakeholders and property managers and attorneys. Um, and we revised our, our framework based on this feedback. When we took the proposal to the Housing and Community Development Commission in September, they were very supportive of our work. They actually wanted us to go a little further and see if we could investigate a way to benefit people who had been in San Jose longer, who had helped to create the community and really wanted to stay. 
Um, we asked our attorneys and they quickly said that's not legal under, under law. And so we were not able to move that uh, recommendation forward, but they were generally very supportive and interested. And then um, the doorway feature that I just described, we have been beta testing and working with our um, consultant Exegy to finalize that location feature. Next slide. This is a diagram that shows you how the preference works. And um, the blue circle is an affordable housing property. Preferences apply only to a percentage of the apartments for the general public. Up to 35% total of all restricted affordable apartments um, in that population would be set aside for residents who are at risk of displacement and meet one or other or both of these criteria. So 15% would be set aside for applicants who are lower income renters and live in the same council district as the subject property. And then 20% would be of the units would be set aside for applicants who live in higher displacement areas. And of course, to make the math really simple, a 100 unit property, <laughs> uh, 15 units would be for people who live in the same council district, 20%. Uh, for a high displacement area. What if you lived in the same council district and a high displacement census tract? You could qualify for both, and if you, you know, in essence get two points, and then would float up to the top of the list of applicants and be considered earlier than the others. Um, we also made sure that the set aside of units uh, had a commensurate mix of the types of apartments and the depth of affordability as the rest of the apartments for the general public. We didn't want them all going to studios, for instance, because that was somehow economically helpful. Um, we wanted to make sure they had the full range of options for them. Um, note that the size of the set-asides was very clearly defined by our disparate impact analysis. It is limited to that. I know we talked with a lot of community members who had asked if we could get to 40% as a set-aside total, so up it by five. And, um, and sadly, the disparate impact analysis did not let us do that because as we tested all council districts, a couple of them did not pass. And so we needed to operate a uniform program and we could only get to 15% of the units for people who live in that same council district. And I wanted to note, you know, this, this is only about units for the general population. It's not about special needs units for people who have experienced homelessness and that they have a, se a separate set-aside. It does not pertain to those units. So if half of the building had a separate set-aside for a special population and half did not, the preferences percentages are only on the half that does not. We, of course, want to make sure that we do stay current. We plan to update the analysis every um, two, three years as census data does change. And if we could go to a higher percentage, and my attorney let us, we would consider coming back to see if we could get um, those numbers a little bit higher. Next slide. We worked with the city attorney really closely to figure out which types of affordable properties that this work could pertain to. Um, definitely for city-funded affordable housing, both new construction and ACK rehab, um, they will be implementing the preferences and will be coordinating with property owners to apply preferences to all properties that are in process um, as of the effective date of the resolution, assuming that the council approves this. 
for existing city-funded affordable properties, again, the number of people who would you know, qualify in these census tracts um, as vulnerable far, far, far outstrips um, the few units that would be set aside at 35%. And so we're trying to, um, every time an existing deal comes back to us and needs to update their loan documents, for instance, we're going to work in that new language and ask them after they exhaust their current wait list um, and notify everyone, then start implementing on a unit-by-unit -unit basis as they turn over. Um, and, of course, any negotiated city, city agreement properties, um, we could, impl we could uh, have the preferences apply. Um, also, other public agencies, if they want to effectuate our preferences, even if we don't have any public money in that deal, both the VTA and the County Office of Supportive Housing have discussed doing just that, even if we do not ourselves have funding in the deal. Um, I did want to note at the bottom, uh, senior units, because there are so many seniors in our population, it does begin to look like the general population. This will cover units for seniors. Next slide. Thanks. So again, more carefully, uh, defining applicants. The first type of eligibility, um, the specific definition, uh, the first one's applicants living in areas deemed to have definitive or probable displacement. We're using UC Berkeley's urban displacement project maps. The applicants would be lower income and live in these census tracts to be eligible for the preference. And the preference would apply to all new and existing affordable properties throughout San Jose. So they could access properties in their current neighborhood or decide to move across town. The objective for this preference, is, for this preference type is to help lower um, incomes of renters, I'm sorry, lower income renters that live in the areas that may be experiencing quite a bit of change and have displacement pressures. Next slide. This is a map of those UDP uh, urban displacement project census tracts. The um, displacement risk means that a census tract has characteristics um, that are more strongly correlated with population loss of lower income people um, rather than gain. So it's basically a look over time at where low income people are net leaving. The census tracts colored in orange are definitively experiencing displacement for extremely low and low income residents. The tracts in red are areas the model indicates are definitively experiencing displacement of extremely low, low, I'm sorry, extremely low, very low, and low income residents. And the pink uh, residents are probably experiencing displacement. UDP notes that this map is a conservative estimate of low income population loss. And they also note that displacement may occur because of either neighborhood investments or neighborhood disinvestment, either one. Um, so the, the residents living in these tracts would increase their housing choices. If, if they qualify for the preference, they may, again, choose to stay local where they live now or move across town. Next slide. This, for those of you who are visual learners, this is how I think of this, <laughs> this um, eligibility criteria. The family that lives um, in the northern part of District 3 uh, would have choices to go to any of those affordable properties, uh, mythical, I guess, but as they, um, as they open up in District 1, in, um, in District 7, or in District 5. This is clearly fostering housing choice. The state looked at this and said, 
absolutely uh, no, no concerns about this. Next slide. So again, the definition of neighborhood for applicants living in the same neighborhood is council district. So this would set aside a portion of apartments for any given property for residents who live in that same council district as the subject property. It would apply to existing and to new affordable properties. And the objective, again, this objective is, is something we heard very strongly from the community, that they wanted to stay in their local area um, and stabilize their housing, both, because it is their home and that's where they wanted to stay. Next slide. This is just an image of the benefits of people who are retaining their existing social networks. Um, dozens and dozens of people told us directly that they really wanted nothing more than to stay near their friends and their family, stay near their house of worship, stay with their existing schools and their doctors and their daycare. So um, this is very consistent with studies that have shown that especially for lower income renters, their social networks are extremely important in maintaining housing stability and avoiding negative impacts when they do have to leave that area. Next slide is uh, simple. The next steps would be a cross-reference to city council. Note that this slide was um, created before we decided that the March 26th council meeting would be a better meeting because of the budget process. So we're asking for cross-reference to the 26th. And the effective date of the program would be after city council approves um, the program and the resolution. To implement, we'd start to phase it in for existing projects and those in the pipeline. We would write administrative guidelines to have some more careful definitions of some terms and things like that. We'd seek public comments on that, um, create training and tools for both affordable housing properties and for city staff who are implementing it. And then we would be working with community partners to go out into the community and educate residents in those areas that they may be eligible for preferences and that they um, can get some information. And with that, we're happy to answer any questions. Great, thank you for bringing this important topic to us for our review and to move it forward to the city council in a few weeks. I know we have a lot of people here to speak on this issue. So uh, could you, could the clerk please call their names? And just a reminder, we're limiting public comment to one minute. If you need a translator, that will be two minutes. We have 36 cards submitted. We're gonna be calling 10 uh, speakers at a time. If you hear your name, please line up along the steps in front of security. Joanne Gonzalez, Jeremy, Herman Jose, Tatiana, Delza, Kalimo, Garcia, Alicio, Andrea, and Lina Marie. We have one more. Delma, you will have one minute to speak. Can we also get the Spanish translator? We will have uh, Spanish uh, speakers at the very end. Hi, my name is Joan Mauricio Gonzalez Torres.
doctor to support the apprentice properly. So I could stay in my community that I grew up in. Thank you. Can you hold on one, one moment, please? Is the clock working? On Zoom, it's not working, but we do have it running in person here. Okay, thank you. No problem. So they can see it. Okay, thank you. Good afternoon, Chair Foley and the rest of the committee. Jeremy Bruce, Director of Policy and Organizing with Amigos de Guadalupe, Center for Justice and Empowerment. So as you all know, many years ago, the council adopted its anti-displacement roadmap to address displacement in our city. Tenant preference is one of those policies in the city's roadmap, and we need to take some serious intentional steps to address displacement. Tenant preference promotes inclusivity and attempts to integrate all types of people into the community, which is beneficial to all allows community members to stay in the same neighborhoods where they've built communities, where they've sent their children to school and raised their families. So with this, we urge the committee to pass tenant preference onto the full council vote. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, next speaker. Good afternoon, my name is Dilsa Gonzalez. I am the organizing policy manager at Somos Mayfair and a resident in District 4. I am here to ask the CEDC to approve and move tenant preference for voting next month. I've been a resident of San Jose since 1999 when I was only eight years old. And from there, I have moved 14 times due to high rents and lack of affordable housing. As a child, having to restart again was heartbreaking and I felt that I never belonged in a place or harvest real long relationship with other peers because I knew eventually I had to move. As an adult community member and a parent, I don't want two other children feel the same way I have felt and I'm still struggling with. This is why I'm asking you all to support tenant preference and take it to vote at the next council meeting on March. Thank you, have a really good day. Thank you, next speaker. So we have people who weren't called coming down. We were gonna wait till the very end for Spanish speakers. If you submitted a purple card, those will be going after the yellow cards. Great, thank you. So they submitted the wrong card. Okay. So we will just move forward with the Spanish translation. I'll just move the timer to two minutes. Great, thank you. No problem. Mi nombre es Tatiana Hidárraga, estoy aquí con amigos de Guadalupe y estamos aquí para pedirles por favor que aprueben la póliza de preferencia de inquilino aquí en San José para el beneficio de mi familia y de mi comunidad. Muchísimas gracias por escucharnos. Okay, uh, good afternoon, my name is Tatiana. 
Aderaga. I am here with Amigos de Guadalupe, and I am here to request that you approve in favor of the policy and preference of the tenants. I am here in San Jose, here in San Jose I'm sorry. And this is for the benefit for my family as well as my community. And thank you very much for listening to us. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Buenas tardes a todos. Mi nombre es Eliseo. Pertenezco a la Asairen, a la comunidad de Seven Trees. Estamos, uh, por favor, de que haga justicia para los inquilinos, que pasen esta propuesta, que voten a favor de esta propuesta. Es muy importante que ayuden a nuestros, a nuestras familias. Se quedan en carros, en lugares que no son seguros, viven en, en charters y no es bueno para sus hijos. Sé que todos somos inmigrantes, somos humanos. Good afternoon. Um, I'm, my name is Eliseo. I am here from Seven Trees, and I am here requesting, I'm here part of uh, Somos de la Comunidad de Seren, and I am here in favor for you to pass the proposal uh, for the tenants, and we hope that you vote in favor for the proposal because it's very important for you to help our families because it is not good for, because they are staying in places that are not safe such as their cars and this is not good for their children. Uh, we are humans and I mean I know we're humans and then we're, we're immigrants but. Y esperemos que se haga algo a favor de nuestra comunidad. Sabemos que la comunidad hace más grande la ciudad y hace más grande a todo mundo y unidos si se puede. Muchas gracias por escucharnos. Uh, yes, and we also hope that uh, you vote in favor to help the community, and we know that as a community we make the city bigger, but also all together we can go ahead and help, and yes, we can accomplish this together. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hola, buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Karime y vengo de Amigos de Guadalupe. Actualmente vivo en San José y vengo a hacer la petición de que se apruebe esta póliza de inquilinos para que más familias ya no sean desplazadas y pensando en el beneficio para nuestras familias. Gracias. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Karim, and I am here with Amigos de Guadalupe. I currently live here in San Jose, and I'm here to request for you to approve the policy for the tenants. Uh, this would help many of our families so that they will not be displaced, and I think this would be a benefit for our families. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello, my name is Andrea Portillo with Somos Mayfair. As you've heard today, tenant preferences are extremely important because our most impacted community members continue to face barriers when accessing the affordable housing that is being built in their communities. You've heard Christian share a little bit about the story of Quetzal Gardens, but I wanna reiterate what happens when we don't have policies like tenant preferences in place. 
Quetzal Gardens is a beautiful 71 unit affordable development in the heart of Eastside San Jose. Despite strong partnership between Somos Mayfair, other community organizations, and RCD, the developer, and extensive community outreach and direct assistance that led to supporting over 350 applicants from the zip codes 95116, where the building is located, zero current residents were successful in moving into this development. According to RCD, approximately 3,000 households submitted applicants for the 42 non-homeless units. The time is now for us to take the next steps to ensure that those most in need have access to the housing being built in their community. Thank you. Thank you, I'm gonna call the next 10 speakers down. Norma Martinez, Norma Chavez, Greg Miller, Carmen Torres, Tatiana, I have last name Gutierrez, first name starts with a C. Yandi Machuca, Sandra Mendoza, Maria, yeah. and we have one with no name. Buenas tardes, mi nombre es Lina Maria. Eh, vengo, hago parte de la comunidad Amigos de Guadalupe. Hoy me presento adelante cada uno de ustedes para pedir, por favor, sea aprobada la póliza ya que no es bueno eh, estar viviendo de una manera inadecuada con nuestros hijos, con nuestros pequeños. Venimos de una situación crítica en nuestro país. Por esta razón, este, queremos pedir sea aprobada esta póliza. No más hacinamientos en eh, habitaciones, no más hacinamiento en casa, no más familias durmiendo en carros. Eh, agradezco a cada uno de ustedes por su atención. Eh, por favor, que sea visible esta realidad que muchas familias están viviendo allí afuera. Gracias. Good afternoon. My name is Lina Marina Maria. I am from uh, the community of Guadalupe, and I'm here today before you to request for you to approve the policy for the tenants since it's not good for us to live with our children in inappropriate situations. This is critical for our community because some of us live in uh, rooms or in not very good housing and it's not good to be living in cars. So I thank you for your attention and I hope that uh, this will be a, something that will be visible and a reality that we can see. Thank you. Um, hello. My name is Eli Gutierrez. Um, I'm thinking I'm speaking with the right person, so I lose a lot of my a lot of my time and I waste a lot of my money trying to develop a family right here in San Jose and working too hard and spending too much time in working and not focusing on my family. So I hope so you guys think about it, what is the right thing to do and time is money. Let's have it here and then actually, actually I feel these are wise words. So thank you for that. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon. I'm Carmen Torres from Siren Services Immigrant Rights and Education Network. We've served the immigrant community for well over 36 years, and we have seen the direct effects of the housing crisis on our families. Uh, we support tenant preference policy to set aside a portion of affordable housing units for these residents who meet the requirements. Let's keep our families together in the neighborhoods where they can live, survive, thrive, 
and make a positive impact on our entire community. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon. My name is Greg Miller. I'm uh, a retired nurse and a resident of District 5 and also active in California Alliance for Retired Americans and the South Bay Community Land Trust. A basic point of affordable housing is to allow people to live in a stable community without fear of being pushed out by those who view housing primarily as a way to make money and increase personal or family wealth. Putting it in a different way, we need to avoid displacing the communities who are most precarious while, living, while being essential to our local economy. The most cost-effective approach is through housing preservation as, as uh, a, a approach uh, uh, as opposed to building new housing. So I hope you will for focus on that option. So I ask you to support a tenant preference policy as described by staff today that uh, favors local tenants and avoids displacement of local communities that allows the city to set aside a portion of units in affordable housing developments for residents who meet certain criteria and most need affordable housing. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to call the next speakers to make their way down to the podium. Greg Miller, Victor, Leticia, Magdalena, Sandy, Viviana. We have another one from Magdalena. Last name starts with a K. Gabriel, Valentin, Miss Rain. Muy buenas tardes, mi nombre es Yandri, vengo aquí con amigos de Guadalupe para pedirle a los presentes que recomienden esta póliza de preferencia de inquilinos aquí en San José. Uh, good, afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, my name is Yadri and I come here with the amigos of Guadalupe and I'm here to request for you to go ahead and approve the recommended policy that is preferred for the tenants here in San Jose. Para que todas las familias y nuestros niños puedan tener una vivienda asequible y quedarnos en las comunidades que hemos estado creando alrededor de nosotros. Y sé que con su ayuda podemos lograrlo. Muchas gracias. Um, this is so that we, uh, so that all the families and with our children, we can go ahead and have affordable housing and that we stay in the communities that where we have been raising everybody around us. And this is so that they can go ahead and help us to be able to accomplish this. I, I request that and I thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker. Buenas tardes, mi nombre es Víctor Hernández. Vengo de parte de Amigos de Guadalupe pidiéndole de favor de que puedan aprobar la póliza de inquilinos para que ya no haya más familias sin techo. Gracias. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Víctor Hernández and I come here with Amigos de Guadalupe. I am requesting, requesting 
for you to go ahead and approve the policy for the tenants so that families will not be without a roof over their head. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon, members of the committee. My name is Gabriel Manrique, community organizer with Luna. I am present this afternoon to speak in support of the approval of the tenant preference policy. Our community is continuously advocating for affordable housing to prevent the displacement of working class families, especially people of color. In advancing the tenant preference policy, it will benefit the people that historically have been disempowered by our system. The tenant preference policy is the first step the city can take to improve housing stability and affordability to prevent families from being uprooted from San Jose, the city they call home. The community of San Jose is looking forward to seeing this policy move forward, increasing opportunities for low-income families to stay in their neighborhoods. For this reasons, we urge the community to support the approval of the tenant preference policy. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon. My name is Leticia Scorcia, and I am here to support the uh, tenant preference too. And uh, I ask this committee to to um, approve for the approval of this of this uh, policy because I would love to see how this can make the difference. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hola, buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Magdalena Durán. Okay. Soy parte de Vecinos Activos. He, venido en est, uh, he vivido en el este de San José por 32 años y estoy aquí para apoyar la póliza pre, de preferencia de inquilinos, porque esto es fundamental para el bienestar de las personas de nuestra comunidad. Okay, gracias. Uh, good, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm, he, I'm here for Vecinos uh, I'm here from the neighbors of Somos Mayfair. I have lived here in San Jose for 32 years, and I am here to support the policy in, in preference of the tenants. This is because it is fundamental for our well-being and for the people in our community. También me gustaría pedir a las personas que son dueños de su propia vivienda que nos apoyen con esta póliza. Recordemos que así como nosotros vivimos la hermosa experiencia de tener nuestro propio hogar, así podemos lograr que todas las personas que estén en peligro de ser desplazados y que vivan con el temor de un día para otro no tener dónde vivir. Okay. Also, I would like to request for the people that are owners of their property that, um, that they go ahead and support this policy as well. Remember that this is the way that we've all lived and we have experienced the, that we too as well have the experience that we would like as well to have our own home if possible. Uh, it, because if we could do this, it is for everybody so that people will not be in danger for them to be displaced or for them to live in fear and that someday or another that they would not have a place to live. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um. Thank you. Next speaker.
Hello, good afternoon. My name is Magda Kosovic. I am from Amigos de Guadalupe, and I'm here with my family um, to support the anti-displacement policy. We came to San Jose uh, in August last year. My uh, children are thriving at school, and we love what San Jose has to offer. We really love living here. However, the high rent prices um, are very discouraging, and we might be considering moving to, to another city or even to another state. So we are here uh, to ask you to please, please vote in favor of this anti-displacement policy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello, my name is Viviana. I'm a student at the Anza College, and I support the local tenant preference policy. Last year, I had to move out of San Jose to San Francisco because I couldn't afford the rent. The rent was just too high. I had to move in with my family. And I make a six-hour commute back and forth from San Francisco to San Jose just to come for classes because um, I like uh, the Anza College, and it's a good transfer school. So I support the local tenant preference policy, and I really hope that um, the request will be granted. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to call the next set of speakers, Huascar Castro, Rosada Vivianco, Rita, Victor Vasquez, Olivia, Ellie, and Yolanda. Thank you. Good afternoon, uh, council members. My name is Sandy Perry. I'm with South Bay Community Land Trust, and we support the local tenant preference policy. This is a great opportunity doesn't seem to be much uh, opposition here, uh, an opportunity for the CEDC and the City Council to take a concrete step forward to reduce displacement. And we ask that you do so today. When the city worked to bring uh, Google to San Jose, the number one concern raised by residents was the, th was the threat of displacement. So the city adopted an anti-displacement policy in 2020. And in the beginning, they concentrated rightly on pandemic uh, relief, pandemic response, and eviction prevention. However, in 2023, the city began to de-emphasize the issue of displacement uh, and the urgency to address homelessness. However, homelessness and displacement are two sides of the same coin, unaffordable rents. Uh, so uh, you, we can't solve homelessness. Thank you. Thank Next you. speaker. So we Thank you. Uh, please support Thank the local you. tenant preference and help families stay in San Thank Jose. Thank you. Thank you. I've called all the speaker cards. If you did not hear your name, please make your way down to the podium. Buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Valentín Urquiza Arellano. Soy integrante de la organización Somos Mayfair. Este. Estoy de acuerdo y apoyo a la policía, este, preferencia local de vivienda para, para familias latinas de bajos recursos y pido y ruego aquí a, a, a las personas integrantes de la mesa directiva que se pase esta propuesta ya que los principales… Uh, Urquesa Ariega, and I am part of Somos Mayfair. I am here because I agree and I support, I am in support of the policy for the housing for the tenants 
uh, for the families here. I would like it for be, to be incorporated here in San Jose. I request and I also beg for this um, directive table, the committee, to go ahead and approve it. De antemano les doy las gracias, pues sé que estarán a favor de esta propuesta. And Gracias. I would like to thank you beforehand for those of you who are in favor of this proposal. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi. How are you? Uh, hi. Hi. How are you? My name is Misrain Mendoza. I'm the new manager, welcoming manager, and Amigos de Guadalupe Center for Justice and Empowerment. Uh, I'm very excited today because uh, the, this policy is another tool. Right, another tool on a toolbox to stop displacement. Um, I always say to the city council when I call in, uh, a government is measured by the way they treat the most vulnerable. This is an amazing chance for this committee to move this forward, bring it to city council, and I hope it passes, and I have faith that it's gonna pass with five votes. So let's do this, thank you. Thank you, next speaker. Buenas tardes, mi nombre es Rosaura Vivanco. Este, vengo de parte de Vecinos Activos y también estoy de acuerdo para que pase la póliza de vivienda de inquilinos para todos. Vivo en un lugar que es un Morohon Park y también vivimos con el temor de desplazamiento y así como todas las personas este, tienen temor de que los desalojen de su lugar, así también nosotros también tenemos de temor porque los dueños están subiendo las rentas. Gracias. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Rosalba Vivano and I am here with vecin uh, Vecinos Activos. I agree with the policy for the tenants and uh, I am here because I live in a mobile home park and uh, I, we live in fear that we will be displaced because we all are afraid that we will be evicted because the owners are raising the rent and that's why we have fear. Well, thank you. Thank you, next speaker. Good afternoon, my name is Olivia Ortiz. I am part of Vecinos Activos with Somos Mayfair. I've been organizing the committee for more than seven years. And as you guys, um, as I mentioned in the report, we've been engaged since 2017 since this started. So I am so happy that this, this finally is here. You know, this is a huge um, step towards our families that have been impacted by this housing crisis. So I really hope that you guys today um, approve this item so we can bring it to the whole city council and give hope to our families, families that are, you know, at risk of displacement and in risk of living with other family members. Um, myself, I call people houses when people lose their homes and they have to go live with their family members. To me, that people have lost their homes and they're houseless to me. So this will benefit people, but also children so that we can stay in our communities. Thank you so much. Thank you, next speaker. Victor Vasquez, Somos Mayfair. Over the past several years, Somos, alongside Vecinos Activos, residents, and several CBOs, your housing department, have worked tirelessly to develop policies to address displacement. The local preference policy was the second priority in the citywide anti-displacement 
strategy just behind COVID. Somos Mayfair, the city of San Jose, worked with Senator Cortese's office to pass Senate Bill 649, as, as you heard. We had to go to that level to make sure that we protected all residents here. While we we're building more affordable housing, and that's an important strategy, we have to make sure that the families have access to these homes. As you can see today, children, youth, students are now fighting for the right to remain and for a right to a roof, like we say. So please support, enhance, and pass the local preference policy. Our children and our families' lives do depend on this. Do the right thing. Thank you. Next speaker. Hola, buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Yolanda Casas. Vengo por amigos de Guadalupe. Uh, quisiera que tomaran mucho en cuenta esta propuesta. Uh, tengo, soy madre soltera. Tengo un hijo de 18 años con la ilusión de estudiar y salir adelante, pero no está estudiando. Tuvo que dejar de estudiar para ponerse a trabajar, para ayudar a pagar renta. Trabaja en el día y trabaja en la noche, de tan solo 18 años. Uh, good afternoon, my name is Yolanda Casas, and uh, I'm here with Amigos de Guadalupe, and I would, uh, would like for you to take into consideration um, the policy, because I am a single mother, and I have a son of 18 years old of age, and uh, he should be studying, but he's not studying because he's had to go work uh, to help support, and that's what he's doing during the day. Sé que no es el único muchacho que no está estudiando, que se salió para trabajar y para ayudar a solventar los gastos. Um, estábamos viviendo en San José, nos desplazaron, estamos viviendo en Milpitas hace tres años y mis nietos vienen todos los días a San José a la escuela. Quisiera que no pasara lo mismo con ellos de que terminaran uh, dejar de estudiar para ponerse a trabajar. Gracias. Uh, yes, I know that he's not the only one that has had to stop studying to go ahead and get out from school and have to help out so with the with whatever monetary costs exist. Uh, I we we had to move out. I no longer live in San Jose because we were evicted. I now live in Milpitas. This was three years ago, mm -hmm. and my grandchildren have to go to school every day to San Jose. This is not um, uh, a very happy thing to happen that you would have to stop to work to go help. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Jose Quiroz Medrano. I am a coordinator for Vecinos Activos with Somos Mayfair. I know we've met with you before, council members. This is, again, this is a policy that does affect our community in a positive way and prevents displacement. We've been up here with COPA. We've been up here with other policies. We do need something to change, and this is one of the steps forward to be able to create the change that we need in our communities. We can't continue to prolong displacement or ignore it. You know, a lot of us do have the ability or the privilege to have in a house, but a lot of us see the displacement that affects our community every day and being a frontline worker, I get to see this. I get to talk to the community about this every day, and it feels that we don't have solutions to fix those problems. And so this is a step forward to be able to give another opportunity, another solution to add to our tool belt to be able to help the communities, to help the residents, and to help families who are struggling to find a place of their own here. Thank you. 
Thank you. Next speaker. Hi again, uh, Emily Ann Ramos with SV at Home. Um, we submitted a letter with the Housing Justice Working Group with a real uh, coalition in support of this policy along with the uh, community priorities that are championed along with this. Um, we think that this is an important step in taking action on the newly certified housing element um, and with the displacement response, uh, the anti-displacement strategy. Uh, the tenant uh, preference policy is also an important production policy to address anti-displacement, which is a very great point to take a look at. Um, we believe that it will help affirmatively further fair housing in the city, and um, we were happy to work with the city in bringing together affordable housing developers to learn more about this policy and, and, and uh, seek feedback on the policy, which has led to the great work and the long-time work that staff has brought in front of you today. So we encourage you to bring it forth to council so we can pass this and all celebrate this great. Thank you. Next speaker. Um, good afternoon, members of the committee. My name is Oscar Castro, Director of Housing and Transportation Justice with Working Partnerships USA. Happy to stand in solidarity with so many here and providing our strong support for tenant and neighborhood preferences and along with the community priorities laid before you all today by so many. Um, actually, too, uh, changing my hat, uh, I do remember working on really laying the groundwork for this as a staffer for then Councilmember Magdalena Carrasco. I think Kristen remembers as well. And so it's really exciting as seeing the conversation around the Kitzel Gardens development and ensuring that residents around the area, which I think folks will dive into later, have a priority of entering those units and ensuring that going forward, that as developments go forward uh, and move through the process, that residents that live within the vicinity of those projects that are in need of affordable housing have an opportunity and there's very prescriptive policy language to allow for that opportunity. For that reason, really excited to see uh, for the development of this policy and for the implementation and for a lot of other outstanding pieces for that to get worked out along with partners. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon, Council. My name is Juan Angel Lujano with the South Bay Community Land Trust. Hope you all are doing well. Um, the reason why we're here, I'm not sure, but there's a lot of people behind us at a seed CDC meeting, right, uh, for this policy. Um, and I think it speaks volumes of how important it is to take action on a policy like this. Um, I'm a firm believer that inaction is just as bad as an attack on our community. So I highly urge you to move this forward and, yeah, let's pass this through. Thank you. Thank you, that concludes the speakers. Back to the committee. Great, thank you for all of you who came to offer your public comment. I agree it's really an important issue and I look forward to the discussion of my colleagues. Uh, Council Member Batra. Thank you very much for bringing this proposal forward and thank you to all the speakers who came and tried to give us their feelings about the importance of this item and why we should support it. You know, ever since I came on the council, I've been always looking for the ways to make it help locals first. That's why being asking questions about 
when did people become homeless in other programs? Because it is not only our obligation to help the locals first, because they built the city, they created the city, which we enjoy. So as a result, I feel it is an obligation of ours as a council members, as residents, as compassionate community, that we help the locals first. I like this program. It's a very well targeted. It's built on the right kind of things that we want to take affordable homes, which are being built with the public money. And as a result, these are the people who are entitled to it. So this program is well targeted, well intentioned, and will have very many positive consequences. So I'll be supporting it. I do want to ask a few questions. Okay. In terms of the, the you mentioned that this will apply to our current approved projects as well. How many units will we get under this reservation uh, from the already approved ones? Thank you, Council Member. I was just adding up numbers. I, um, now I think the number of general units um, for, ex there's new construction and then there are deals that are coming forward, deals already in construction, um, and then um, also existing deals that we know are coming forward uh, for some kind of existing transaction. So I'm, I think, a conservative estimate is, um, it, I would say about 500 units general for the general population, then we would take 35% of that. Okay. Thank you, that's great. Okay. You said you're ready to launch the program once it's approved at the council. Are you administratively okay in terms of being able to define the preference category and the preference area because this is pretty innovative way you're going about. And I'm glad you created some other tools. I want you to comment yes. on that one, how it is gonna make it possible uh, or you have created the tools to make it possible to implement this thing pretty quickly because yes. usually I've seen we come in with the proposal then we need to go and work on it for the next several months and years before it becomes a reality. But you're ready to make it a reality pretty quick. I want to know a little more about that. Yes, thank you, Council Member. We went ahead and um, worked with a couple other cities to update Doorway because we believed that this hopefully would be moving forward and we wanted to be ready to launch. Um, I think, again, the portal is designed for property owners to list their properties and then it, you know both for lease up and then as units come about so that geo targeting prefer, um, mode is about ready to go I, I made some comments on it a couple weeks ago I, I think it's ready to launch um, and so that was necessary we also had been working in language into existing loan documents for the last two three years in hopes that we could get this forward and it would be specific enough that folks would be on notice that we might be coming back to them to implement. So, so that's ready to go. Um, but I think it's a matter of um, identifying deal by deal and going into those team meetings 
and um, getting them familiar with the proposal, having the side conversations. Chris has drafted the loan document specifically on this so that councils can have conversations and get comfortable. So we are, um, we are ready to hit the ground running on this one. And again, it will be policy facilitating it together with our residential development division um, until the RDD gets comfortable on their own. So I see that for the next few months. And policy will be doing outreach sessions in the community, that's our job. Thank you, and Thank you. just comment on the technology you have used underneath the GIS technology to make this possible for the property managers right. to be able to do their job quickly. Right, yeah, so the, um, the software is going to use GIS and we are able to identify census tracts as well as council districts in different layers in the software. And um, again, when an applicant puts in their address, the system will take that address and will figure out do they live in, a, in the right council district for this particular deal? Do they live in um, a, one of the affected census tracts that we're highlighting? Um, we can also, and, and again, it will generate, the, the purpose of this is to generate lists of applicants for any property. When it generates the lists of applicants um, with tenant preferences, it will have indications next to the names as to which people qualify. Does that answer your question? You. Hopefully. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a great tool. Yeah, this program checks every box which I would ever like to see it checked for speed of, speed of efficiency of implementation, the goals, the scope. So as a result, I'm honored to move this to accept and cross-references to the March 26th report. Thank you for the great work. Thank you. Thank you, I have a motion. Is there a second? Second. Wonderful, thank you. Council Member Ortiz. Thank you so much, um, Madam Chair. Great to see some support for anti-displacement on, on this committee. I wanna begin my comments by sharing a sincere thanks with our housing department staff um, it's not an exaggeration to say that the work you've all embarked on is so important and will positively affect uh, the legacies of families who've built this great city. Um, our working families, particularly those uh, communities of color, are, are the ones who are most at risk of being priced out of the neighborhoods and city that they've called home. Um, with statistics in this memo demonstrating, 45%, almost half, or practically half of Hispanics in San Jose are living in neighborhoods undergoing displacement. So if we use that uh, on our committee here, one out of every two Hispanics, either me or Omar, would have to go. 30% um, of our black communities in San Jose are living in neighborhoods undergoing displacement. And 34 of our Vietnamese communities in San Jose are living in neighborhoods undergoing displacement as well. Additionally, the greatest number of households qualifying under the displacement tract criteria reside in UC Berkeley defined census tracts in city council districts three, five, six, and seven. Things that we, myself and council member Torres have been saying in almost every city uh, council meeting or, or committee meeting. Um, however, the risk of displacement occurs in every city council district, not just the ones that uh, we've highlighted. This situation is unacceptable and we must take action to help our hardworking families who are living in fear of displacement every day. 
And that's why I for sure will be supporting and accepting the memo today. Um, and we'll continue to advocate for this um, as it navigates through the city council. Thank you so much. Thank you, Councilmember Torres. Great, uh, thank you, Madam Chair, and thank you to my colleagues for, for motioning and seconding. Uh, and of course, thank you so much for the presentation. Most importantly, thank you so much for our community uh, for being out here today uh, and voicing your, your support, it's extremely important. Uh, uh, just like Waskar uh, mentioned, uh, I also was uh, working for Councilmember Carrasco when when she proposed this idea, right? And it was very sad to hear, uh, well, we were very happy to hear that Quetzal Gardens was opening up in, in, in District 5, but then very sad to hear that families in District 5 were not chosen for Quetzal Gardens. And so, and of course, we all know that's not because of lack of support or lack of coordination. Somos did their very best to get folks in and didn't, unfortunately. And it's very sad to hear and very sad to continue to see that Council Districts 3, 5, and 7 are rapidly changing. And honestly, these three council districts are the heart of San Jose. And we can't lose our community because we, as a city, lose our identity. Uh, and that's why, uh, that's why I support uh, the staff recommendation and the staff report today uh, and uh, support our tenants in the city of San Jose. So thank you so much. Thank you. Vice Mayor Kamei. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I was really delighted to hear that it will apply to not just uh, for existing, but those in the pipeline, which I think is, is just wonderful. Um, this is a very good step forward, and I look forward to it coming to council. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Obviously, we have a lot of support uh, on the dais on this particular issue. I, too, support it. I appreciate the thoughtfulness of the uh, anti-displacement policy and the ability for us to have developers, affordable housing developers, set aside units for people who live in the neighborhood who will be displaced. I think that's a huge step forward and you've already heard that this has been going on for a long time so I'm, I'm happy to support it as well. I think it's really an important piece of legislation. You know, sometimes we do things here and people say, oh, you've, you've done harm to the community. Well, I would say that this does, it, this benefits the community in a tremendous way and I'm happy to be a part of supporting it. I do have one question regarding um, the alternative documentation. In our presentation, in our one-on-one, -on -one, you had mentioned that alternative documentation for the tenant would be allowed, but I didn't see any reference to that. So that's one of the issues when a tenant is moving into a new place that they don't have the required documentation that a landlord might want to see. So is there, will you be developing a list? Yes, thank you, Chair, for mentioning that. I realized it didn't get in the slides. This is one of the two benefits besides the main purpose that I think the policy brings. One is advancing use of our tenant portal, which is wonderful. Um, but two, we want to make sure that residents who are applying um, are allowed to use flexibility that the state also allows under the tax credit program, but not every property manager now advertises this or uses the flexibility. And so coupled with the policy, we would like 
all property managers to use um, alternative documents to evidence where they live, income, and we're collecting a list right now. We did hear from property managers that they would like us to create a list so that they have a, something to lean against, saying that this is, this is you know, required and, or an alternative. So um, we really wanted also to make sure there was no barrier in people finding out about the alternative docs being accepted, because that in and of itself is a barrier to housing access. So we are going to be requiring that they put it in their advertising when they are opening up units that alternative docs are allowed. I think that's great. The alternative documentation is really important because tenants don't may be living in a house with three other families and they may not be the primary tenant, so they may not have utilities in their name, although they may have children going to school in the neighborhood. So if we can use some identification that the child is going to school as their tenant preference uh, qualification document, that would be really helpful. So I know it's, it will be an interesting list to see because I think that you can be really creative with some yeah. of the things that needed. It shouldn't be an impediment ha uh, to uh, allowing a tenant or getting a tenant into one of these units. We should be able, this, the whole idea is to make it easier for them and alternative documentation will, will um, uh, allow that. So I look forward to the list. I assume you're not going to have that by March 26th. No, but that will be part of the administrative guidelines. I could give a draft list, but it won't be finished yet till we get public comment on it. That's so. fine. No, that that's fine. Thank you. Uh, wonderful. Uh, with that, I think we're ready for a vote. And just a reminder that we are voting to approve it at this level, and then it goes to City Council on March 26th, where the full council will take up the issue. With that, let's vote. Thank you. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you so much. Okay, moving on to the last item, it, which is the uh, item on billboards. Thank you. Blage, Robert, who's taking the lead on this? Uh, I am. Okay. Committee Chair Foley, thank you. Uh, so good afternoon, Chair Foley and committee members. Blage Zalalich, the Deputy Director of the Office of Economic Development and Cultural Affairs, and I'm joined in the box here with my colleague, Robert Manford, Deputy Director for Planning, Building, and Code Enforcement. Uh, and we are here today with an update on electronic large format signage on city-owned property. So it has been um, a number of years uh, since the city-to-city -city trip to Denver, Colorado, became, that became the impetus for this initiative. To that end, I'd like to review uh, the intended goals of large format digital signage on city-owned property. And those goals are to enhance the commercial vibrancy of downtown, to generate revenue opportunities for the city, 
to explore digital technologies that would allow for real-time emergency notifications and messaging to residents of the city, and to remove blighted static billboards from our city's landscape. By way of background, uh, from 2016 to 2018, uh, staff did uh, a significant amount of analysis and engagement with the community, including tenants of city-owned properties and uh, billboard and media companies. In September of 2018, uh, staff brought forward a, a recommendation on a new council policy that allowed for billboards and programmable signs displaying off-site advertising and commercial speech, and that was approved by council. There were 17 sites that were cleared in a program, levi program level EIR uh, that allowed for up to 22 signs. At that time, the direction for council uh, was to release a request for proposals for both building mounted signs in the downtown core and then also freeway uh, facing freestanding signage, uh, all on city owned property. Uh, so actually, the work plan was divided into uh, two separate RFP processes. There is one for select sites process, uh, which were the building mounted signs in the downtown core, and the second was the alternative sites process, which was the freestanding signage uh, process. There was an initial RFP issued in August of 2019 uh, with a, an initial uh, notice of attended award in December of 2019. That uh, RFP solicitation was subsequently reissued uh, due to a technical issue that occurred following the issuance of the Notice of Intended Award. A second Select Sites RFP was issued in May of 2020. Uh, in that solicitation, the eight sites were reduced to six sites, um, removing the San Jose Museum of Art and the Second Street Garage, and that was issued in May of 2020. Uh, a panel did an evaluation on those proposals, and the Notice of Intended Award was issued in December of 2022. There was, um, as, as you can see, a significant gap in the time between the RFP being issued and the NOI being issued, and that was primarily due to staff's workload and focus on uh, pandemic recovery efforts at that time. With respect to the freestanding signage, uh, we solicited proposals to lease, install, and operate freestanding digital signage um, in two locations uh, that were cleared through the 2018 uh, program-leveled CEQA. They were, the RFP sites were issued in 2019, and 20 proposals were received. A notice of intended award for one site was issued in July of 2020. And that was actually subsequently rescinded uh, for the city to re-examine its initial evaluation. A final uh, notice of intended award for three potential sites was issued in March of 2023. Okay, so since the last program update to this committee, staff has been advancing this effort. Uh, since 2023, uh, you can see the five bullet points on the screen. That is what we have been working towards. So there has been um, a CEQA-related CEQA funding agreement uh, that has been executed with uh, three of the, the um, proposers, kind of the, the winning proposers for the, that were um, 
identified in the NOIAs. We've been coordinating logistical and technical parameters of the signs with each location, reviewing sign design, um, and conducting uh, lease negotiations. And probably the, the largest um, and the heaviest lift that has begun or has been in process is the environmental process for each of the individual sites. So six of the select sites and then three alternative sites. So as far as next steps goes, uh, by spring of 2024, uh, we plan to have complete environmental scoping analysis for the select and alternative sites and have a, a draft initial study uh, document. Uh, in summer, we anticipate circulation uh, of those environmental documents. Uh, and in fall, we anticipate finalizing the project level uh, environmental clearance and also um, having final contract and lease terms to be presented to council for action. So we intend to complete uh, the package of recommendations and bring them forward to council for their consideration by December of 2024. And then, um, it, based on council action, uh, should there be approval of you know, that package of recommendations or any component of it, we would execute the agreements uh, following council action. And that concludes uh, the staff presentation. We are here to answer any questions that you might have. Thank you. Wonderful, thank you for that update. I know we have some people here to speak. We have 19 cards submitted. Can the first 10 people please make your way down to the podium by security? Dr. Paul, Jason, Hemp, John Miller, Jessica, last name ending in B, James, Eddie Trung, Ivy Nguyen, Craig, and Les Levitt. Thank you. University of California Observatories, Lick Observatory. Interesting presentation, didn't mention the Superior Court judgment against the airport for billboards, which are universally reviled. I also worked in the advertising industry before arriving at Lick Observatory in Santa Clara County. Since 2018, the council seems determined to go through this procedure, pushing things. I wrote you a letter yesterday, littered with scientific analysis, none biased from Lick Observatory scientists saying light pollution causes harm, cancers, hormonally induced, dementia and so on. Ask your public health officers before proceeding with this, advertising itself causes harm. There's a citation in my letter. All the glitters is not gold. Even advertising is saturated right now, online advertising. Don't trust in increased revenues. Takedown ratios that have been proposed it's in the thousands to one, not the six to one or ten to one that are sweetening this deal. Stop it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, Jason Hemp, No Digital Billboards, also D3 residents. Uh, the, the staff status update and the presentation that was just provided, um, we feel that there's some information that's misleading and incomplete. Uh, two examples, the airport billboards. Recently, there was a court ruling invalidating the contract between Clear Channel and the airport. Uh, I didn't see an update in this presentation. It'd be 
interesting to ask staff the status on that, um, especially all the effort that was put into that council meeting back in February 2022. Um, also, the downtown billboards don't have a takedown ratio, and I didn't see that called out in the presentation, so you may want to ask staff uh, for an update on that. Lastly, I urge you to look into the 40 or so letters that were submitted on record for today's meeting on this topic, all of them opposing this, and you can read their reasons why. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon. My name is John Miller. I'm with No Digital Billboards in San Jose. It's been going on six years since the city council revoked the ban on new billboards on public property but we still do not know the total annual amount of revenue the city would earn when all of the properties eligible for digitals have digitals up and running. Why is this a secret at this late date? Probably because the projected revenues are not as impressive as the proponents of this proposal would like us to believe. We should do a cost-benefit analysis. We should find out for sure. But if you really want to generate revenue from billboards, turn to the existing conventional billboards. There are hundreds of them in San Jose. And we are one of the largest cities in the country without a renewable annual billboard permit system generating revenue, probably as great as, possibly even more so than what we are going to get from the digitals that are being proposed. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon, council and the committee. My name is Jessica Burton, development director with Orange Girl Media. Uh, we bidded and were awarded the city issue RFP to install five um, signs on downtown owned properties. Um, we're really excited about this project um, and future partnership with the city and we're eager to continue working with staff to successfully implement the project um, and we're committed to doing the necessary work to get this back um, in front of council later this year. Um, each of our signs are thoughtfully designed incorporating architectural elements and artistic accompaniments that will add to the vibrancy and will enhance downtown and make um, a sense of place in downtown San Jose. Uh, we're committed to this city, and we're here to answer questions and provide any additional supporting information. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon, Madam Chair, members of the committee. My name is Eddie Trong, a uh, lifelong resident of San Jose and a big supporter of the digital science. Uh, Orange Bill Media was awarded the RFP twice uh, for the select sites for five city-owned sites. And uh, we hope that you will support their proposal and to support Councilmember Torres's memorandum to move forward the five select sites. Digital signs will add vibrancy and attraction to the downtown area. Digital signs, if done the right way, can be an indicator of a healthy and thriving downtown San Jose. Orange Bell Media signs are not standard billboards. Each sign proposed brings its own unique form and design and art that complements the underlying building and can be described as beautiful in its own form. The digital screens also present an opportunity for the city to connect with residents and visitors, and increased lighting from the signage can uh, improve impressions of vibrancy and nightlife, which downtown San Jose severely needs. Thank you for your support, and I hope that you will support uh, Councilmember. Thank you. Next speaker. 
Good afternoon, Madam Chair and members of the committee. Uh, my name is Ivy Nguyen, and I am here to express my support for large format digital signage to be put in downtown San Jose. The beauty in these digital signs is that they are not just huge displays that are plastered on the sides of these buildings. They are pieces of art that display advertisements and promote city and art content. When I walk around downtown San Jose, my observations is that it is very dull. These signs would provide the pop of color and energy that I believe downtown needs. They seem to be the first of their kind in the Bay Area, and with the rise of social media marketing, they have the potential to garner lots of attention and bring tourism to the downtown area, bolstering local businesses and bringing liveliness to downtown San Jose in the process. In addition, if executed, these signs would generate a million dollars in revenue annually for the city of San Jose without any cost to the city, being that Orange Barrel Media would fund the entire project. The money could be used to clean the street. Thank you, next speaker. I'm actually gonna call the 10 uh, cards uh, for people to line down by the podium. Michael Quach, Nasli Andrea, yeah, looks like Guinette, Martinez, Maria, Oscar, Dan L, Pete Garillo, Steve, Tilma, and Sylvia. Thank you. My name is Craig Shvatero. I'm a D3 resident. Uh, I won't waste your time discussing the, uh, the uh, many reasons that uh, I'm opposed to bringing digital billboards to San Jose. You understand why they're a bad idea. It's been presented many times to council, uh, clearly and concisely, ever since the ban uh, was rescinded in 2018. I think council has spent years wasting city time, energy, and resources in what appears to be an effort to simply outlast residents' opposition to this policy change. Please listen to the residents. We don't want this. I don't know how to make it any plainer than that. So please, pay attention to the Lick Observatory. Pay attention to the residents. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Les Levitt, no digital billboards as well. As a reminder, the city's own survey with more than 2,000 respondents showed 93% opposition to new billboards at the airport and 80% opposed to new digitals downtown. Staff has never referenced this in subsequent status reports. If San Jose allows billboards on public property but excludes them from private property, there will likely be industry lawsuits claiming a violation of anti-competitive provisions of federal law. The city could face a choice of either taking down the existing billboards and paying millions in cash compensation or opening the floodgates to new billboards on private property. The answer here is don't put San Jose at litigation risk. Simply avoid all of this. Reinstate the ban. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon, Madam Chair and members of the committee. My name is Michael Quach, and I'm here to show my support for the implementation of digital large format signs in the downtown core. This digital signage could be the catalyst for increased foot traffic in downtown San Jose, benefiting local businesses. This project includes a digital arts component and a couple will be accompanied by physical arts installations, complementing the buildings on which they reside. Orange Barrel Media is also partnering with the Institute of Contemporary Art San Jose 
to feature San Jose artists on these digital signs, promoting and providing exposure to the members of our com community. In addition, the digital signage will be generating $1 million cash annually for the city and Orange Barrel Media will be funding the entire project. As a lifelong resident of San Jose, I would like to see this revenue be reinvested back into downtown, making it a safer, cleaner, and more enjoyable place to be. I urge the committee to move forward with this memo. Thank you for your time. Thank you, next speaker. <clears throat> Chair uh, <clears throat> Foley and members of the Committee. My name is Pete Garillo, and I'm here on behalf of Outfront Media and Foster Interstate. <clears throat> I wanted just to, to give a little background. We started this process in 2012. That was like 12 years ago, and I think I had a little bit more hair uh, at that time. And we started it with three objectives in, in mind. Uh, to remove blighted static boards throughout the city, to generate revenue opportunities, and then to explore digital technologies. <clears throat> and so with regard to takedowns, uh, our, our proposal proposes that we take down 12 existing signs in District 3, District 5, District 6, and District 7. When you include Clear Channel on their side, I'm estimating here, a total of at least 36 signs. Thank you, next speaker. I'm actually gonna call the next two speakers, uh, Tasha Bryan and Connie Shaw. You can make your way down, thank you. Good afternoon, my name's Dan Conley, former chair of the San Jose Airport Commission. I come before you today as the airport commission on two occasions did not recommend that the city proceed with digital billboards at SJC. I personally am neither for nor against the billboards, for me, it's always about the process, creating fairness, equal treatment, looking down the road at possible consequences. Members of the Airport Commission believe strongly that the staff did not have legal authority to push forward with that project, that staff pushed forward and you approved the contract. Now you have a legal judgment against the city confirming the city was incorrect. Again, I see a legal battle taking place if you proceed, but this time I believe you'll be opening Pandora's box, believing that the city can be the only possible way to the decision you make may take years to litigate, but you could very well open the door to digital billboards all over San Jose. I encourage you to vote no on the staff memo, send it back for more complete, unbiased, and inclusive reports, including San Jose's own public opinion and viable uh, possible litigation threats as well as the consequences. So thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Madam Chair, Council Members, thank you for the opportunity to speak. Uh, Steve Borkenhagen, downtown resident and business person since the 1970s. Uh, our downtown is bland. Our small businesses are suffering. I really hope we can do whatever is possible to help all of the downtown businesses. If you think of other cities, Times Square, Hong Kong, other places, there's lots of digital signage and it, it makes for more powerful experiences for people. Whatever we can do to bring suburban people into our core is really a good thing. I urge you strongly to support Councilmember Torres's memo. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon. The sign idea is a dreadful idea. You think you're going to make a lot of money for the city? It's going to be the sign companies that make a lot of money. The airport commission, which voted on it some years past and voted against it, 
the estimated revenue from it would have been less than 1% of the operating cost of the, of the airport. That would be like seven cents off of your $10 lunch bill. Does that make sense? No. The signs are ugly. They're supposed to attract people to downtown San Jose. I think not. There's a, one of these signs at Valley Fair. Does it make you want to go shopping at Valley Fair because there's a sign there? I doubt it. I think you should vote against this dreadful idea that's hurting our environment. It would hurt our environment. I'm the oldest person in this room, I'm sure, so I've got a little wisdom, and I think you should vote. Thank you, next speaker. Hi, my name is Tashaya Bryant, and I'm the marketing manager for ICA San Jose. We believe that here at the Institute of Contemporary Art San Jose, we look forward to partnering with Orange Burial Media on a site-specific digital art program showcasing the work of San Jose artists, communities, and institutions. The ICA supports artists in the Greater Bay Area with a free, safe, and welcoming place to view contemporary artwork. This digital program will increase awareness of the ICA and provide additional venue for the museum to share the work of local artists and creative professionals. Thank you so much. Thank you, next speaker. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Tina Morrill. I live in the Vendome neighborhood in District 3 downtown. I am a community member. I support the downtown. I'm a huge arts supporter. And I'm asking you to please stop considering and studying billboards. These this digital billboards, your constituents are saying no. Um, it, the, we oppose them. Over 2,000 people in the city's survey said, no, we don't want them. And my concern is time is money. And the amount of time spent listening to staff presentations and studying the issue, um, and meeting with the lobbyists, I think it's a huge waste of our taxpayer dollars. There are a lot of other needs that your constituents need, basic needs, and there are other ways to get us downtown um, to spend our money. So I'm asking you to please stop this study. Thank you, next speaker. Hi, my name's Connie Shaw. Hi, Rosemary. Hi, Omar. Um, I have lived in D3 for the last 50 years. I have cycled downtown for the last 50 years. I'm a resident of the Bay Area my entire life. I consider billboards, any billboards, a mark of blight. They are unattractive, and by the mere fact they are designed to draw attention, they are distracting, especially to drivers. Electronic billboards take this distraction to another level. They're glitzy, obnoxious, in-your-face distracting. Electronic billboards, by definition, are a waste of energy. They interrupt the circadian rhythms of wildlife and people, and therefore environmentally unsound. The proposed bill for billboard, um, as far as I could see, offers no benefit to the city of San Jose or its residents, and in agreement with two people who were here before, um, all that glitters is not gold, and please don't open Pandora. Thank you. Next speaker.
Well, hello, my name is Maria Hennessy. Um, I've lived in San Jose 22 years and in the Bay Area for over 50. I'm asking that you put this measure to a vote with the citizens because people have been objecting to your pushing through digital billboards now for several years. Um, I can bring up some of the things that are important to me. Uh, one study measured a single digital billboard and it consumes as much energy that would power 11 single family households. And you are considering 22 of these. Um, also the light pollution would negatively impact Lick Observatory um, and make it impossible for them to continue their science that they are doing as, as far as astronomy goes. Local businesses are not going to benefit. The digital billboards typically advertise national consumer products and services. I have uh, an example here on the... Thank you. That concludes the speakers. Back to the committee. Thank you. Thank you for the members of the public who weighed in on this subject matter. Uh, I know it's there's a lot of controversy on either side. So with that, let's have the discussion. Councilmember Torres. Great. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Chair, and thank you for, for the folks who, who came and spoke on this item. Uh, to my colleagues, uh, I do apologize, but I did submit a memo a little bit late, uh, so I apologize for that. Uh, but I have submitted a memo, and it's in your hands. And uh, the memo I put forth ensures that we move forward with both mounted and standalone sites that were selected according to the Notice of Intent Award. It is also equally important to let folks know that my district should receive some benefits as the billboards are proposed, are, most of the billboards are proposed uh, in my district. And so I am excited about the potential for takedowns uh, of existing static billboards, given the oversaturation of billboards in districts three, five, and seven, and of course, the potential of generating revenue for the city through these billboards. And in my memo, equally important, is allocating 20% of the annual revenue generated by the select and alternative sites to a newly proposed community advisory group. This advisory group will enhance commercial and residential vibrancy, revitalize our downtown core, promote arts, cultural, and placemaking opportunities in District 3, especially since mostly all the mounted billboards will be in downtown. Delaying the approval of these recommendations would hinder our city's progress and deprive us of vital resources needed to address issues such as homelessness and urban blight. And then lastly, the electronic billboards will be accessible to the city and used for emergencies such as flooding, earthquakes, and other imp important city messages. So I move to accept my memo provided to you all. And if you have any questions, I'm here to answer them as well. Second. Thank you. Councilmember Ortiz. Thank you so much, um, Madam Chair. Um, first, I want to give my thanks to OED and, of course, PBCE, who's been advancing this work, um, as well as our members of the community who had their um, voice heard. Um, it's, it's not often that we get to see an item come forward that brings revenue to the city. 
as well as supports key socioeconomic themes such as marketing, lighting, which I believe are critical to a healthy downtown core and a municipal uh, economy. For years, we've been hearing from residents saying that downtown isn't safe, that downtown doesn't attract residents, um, and one of the main reasons, uh, one of the main avenues in which we can uh, improve the vibrancy is by having more lighting, is by having more art um, that will attract individuals to um, our, our city center. You look at major cities across the country um, and a lot of the locations that do have vibrant downtowns, um, they have art pieces, they have um, engageable uh, 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 digital billboards, and, and, and I know that this will go a far, um, go far for our residents, and I want to congratulate Councilmember Torres for his memo, because this is an excellent way to bring resources um, to activate downtown, especially as we're having conversations around art um, uh, and other uh, funding events in, in the downtown core. So I'm supportive of this, and I, I do think, you know, there was a couple um, statements were said, you know, that we're wasting city time. That's why we need to get all of these done. I think this is a great start, but we've been studying these billboards for several years now. It's time to do, uh, get all the billboards that we've promised to get done, done. It's already gone to city council, I believe, four times, if not more. The city council has voted, um, and, and that's who makes policy decisions for the city. And I'm, I'm hoping one day, once I have uh, La, the La Avenida Cultural District in, in, in my district, maybe we could have a digital billboard at the Mexican Heritage Plaza. So we'll, I'm, I'm going to be watching this closely, and we'll, we'll see how this goes. Thank you. Vice Mayor Kamei. Thank you. Um, I have a, a few questions. Uh, this, is, this is an item that went to council before I was on board, and I know that it's been uh, quite some time that it's been moving forward, and uh, a lot has happened in the interim. Uh, I, I wanted to know what the takedown ratio is. Uh, Vice Mayor Committee, in the RFP that was published, the takedown ratio was four to one, because that was the takedown ratio that was um, approved in the policy when it went to council in September of 2018. Um, subsequent, just to add on, subsequent to that, there was a council discussion around uh, making an adjustment in the takedown ratio, and one of the um, one of the uh, proposers at that time was involved in that conversation and had agreed to that revised takedown ratio. So while... Um, Which is what? Uh, six to one. So while the um, RFP stated the four to one ratio, um, our intention as we finalize lease negotiations is to have that conversation with the two proposers uh, that have uh, the freestanding uh, signage. And what is the total revenue that's estimated to be coming in. Someone mentioned, one of the speakers mentioned a million dollars. So the, the request for proposal also had a percentage um, that was a revenue uh, share with the city. And that percentage was between 30 and 33%, actually it was 33% of gross annual revenue uh, with a minimum annual guarantee. Um, at this, so the, the numbers, that's the percentage that um, all of the um, successful proposers agreed to provide to the city. That percentage, the 33%. That, 
33% of their revenue, but there would be a minimum of what? There would be a minimum annual guarantee that's proposed by the proposals. So we don't know. We don't know what that amount is. So we we did we did receive some hard numbers, but that is part of finalizing the lease negotiations. And so staff's intention is to bring forward all of those numbers once the final lease terms and um, negotiate. So we don't know. We are we are having those negotiations at this time. That's I part see. of this process of I finalizing. See. But what we do know is that they have agreed to the requested 33% of annual gross um, income to be shared with the city. So you're dealing with people who've done this before. There's got to be a range. I mean, are we talking, someone mentioned a million dollars. Uh, and if that's the case, it sort of like gives you an idea. But if the range is 100,000, which is 33%, I mean, I don't know. Uh, it, it sort of gives a different magnitude. So I, I think, you know. Yeah, so um, I guess I will say, um, I will say that. Vice Mayor, I, I think we can't have this discussion around the details of the RFP and the lease agreement because it's going back and forth between attorneys and we're not in a position to have that conversation at the moment. The attorneys are having it. Is that, Johnny, would you like to weigh in? So. Yeah. Johnny Fan from the city attorney's office. So there's two separate issues. Um, just looking at council members Torres memo, I wanna go back to that first, because look at, looking at the memo and the discussion, I think CAD cannot take action on two and three today. That would need to be cross-referenced to the city council. So what we're really doing is bringing forward uh, recommendation four in terms of cross-referencing this to the full city council for discussion. I think the recommendation is to have it on March 12, 2024. Um, so the, the uh, re recommended action today was to accept staff's report. What I'm hearing is, at least from Council Members Torres' memo, is that he doesn't fully agree with staff's report, and he wants to make changes 2A, 2B, and recommendation three. That would need to go to the full council for direction. Um, so I just want to clarify that the memo that Council Member Torres is putting forward in the motion would be to cross-reference this to the city council for full discussion on 2A, uh, on recommendation two and recommendation three. Um, on the lease terms, yes, that is still being negotiated. So we're not in a position to really discuss it in detail. Um, so that is something that we may have more information at the council meeting. We may not, depending where, where we're at in that process. Yeah. I guess, I guess, ahead, I guess, I guess one question that I would have for the attorney is, you know, I'm trying to sort out what is our commitment because this was done pr to, from a prior council as distinguished to what is it that we are able to do. Yeah, so ultimately there is no commitment at this point. The city has issued an RFP. We issue a notice of intent to award. Ultimately the contract will go to, before the city council after CEQA has been completed, at the, which point the city council will, will look at the CEQA clearance, the mitigations, and the contracts. I make see. a decision at that point whether they will approve the CEQA and the lease agreements. 
So I just want to be clear that there is no commitment from the city at this point, because legally we can't commit without completing CEQA um, for all the billboards, or signs, I should say. I um, so there is no commitment today. There's been direction from council since 2017 to keep proceeding down this path. And so that's what we've been doing. I see. Thank you very much for that clarification. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Rosalyn, would you like to respond to? Yeah. Thank you, Chair Foley, Rosalind Huey, Deputy City Manager. So I just wanted to um, comment on item number four in Council Member Torres's memo um, with the recommendation to, to bring the items that he's listed to the March 12th City Council meeting. Um, I would request that staff have more time. Um, that's just two weeks away and we would need more time to take a look at the items, specifically um, the items listed in 2B uh, in order to prepare that memoranda to City Council for full City Council discussion. So um, we would be looking for a date sometime, probably mid to late April. Okay. Would you like to? Yes, yes, so sorry. Thank you, thank you so much for, for that, by the way. Okay, um, well, so, so what I'm hearing is since we can't move on two or three, um, we can't move on two or three, then I'm wondering if I offer a substitute motion? <laughs> I, do, I just did my I own think, motion. I don't think you no, can we can. Substitute motion. <laughs> yeah. I think someone else has to. Offer Somebody a has to, right? Motion, yeah. Or you can amend your own motion. Okay. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna amend my own motion. Um, because I think it is time. I think April is. I, I get what you're saying, Rosalind. Um, but of course, you know, the, I haven't been on the city council before either. But I do know that this that digital billboards comes up often, uh, not only our council meetings but also committee meetings uh, as well. Um, how about um, we? I, I say okay. So let's let's just I'll accept the staff status report, which is which is important, uh, and then um, and then and then uh, say then say. Cross-reference cross Yes, cross-reference to, to the next city council meeting, potentially in early April. Is that okay? I know we said mid-April, uh, mid but, but again, uh, you know, the folks have been, we've been working on this for over six plus years. Um, and so that's why I think it's important to, to continue to, to, to talk about this and make this happen. Sure, so a couple of quick things just for clarity. So the item to be discussed um, at the full council meeting would be around your new items directing the city manager to take a look at these items, Yeah, correct? so I'm, I'm, I'm removing two and three and say accept the staff status report and then bring, um, bring, the, uh, bring uh, recommendations, to, uh, cross reference these recommendations to the how was I supposed to say it? Pam, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, I, I also, I just, I just want to clarify, in terms of staff's current schedule, you heard in our report, we are on track to bring um, the environmental analysis, um, the documents, as well as the negotiated term 
requests of the leases to city council this fall. So nothing can move forward actually until we complete the environmental analysis. So I don't wanna mislead anyone thinking that if we go to council in April that we're somehow fast tracking because that's not the case. Okay, all right, well that, that's, that's important to hear. So, okay, so, so, so then accept the staff report and cross-reference cross the, 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 the report to, to, the to the full city council in mid-April? Or should we change it to well, September? I, I think like the we, question is the CEQA analysis and the, or the environmental impact study that needs to be done. Because we don't, we have an RFP, but there's no formal lease agreement yet. If we, if the EIR is, comes back and says, you can't build, put up billboards there, there's a problem with that, then the RFP may be invalid. Or, you know, I'm just <laughs> trying to think this through without getting overly complicated, and it's, it's getting complicated. So, Johnny, do you have a recommendation on what the language should be in this motion? Yeah, so, so right now, staff's recommendation is here's the status update, and we are, we are gonna return to the council in December 2024. When we return to council in December 2024, hopefully sequel will be completed, and the fully negotiated lease agreements be ready for city council's consideration. What I'm hearing is two things. One is we want staff to move quicker. That's why recommendation three has a date of September 2024, not December 2024. And the second thing is we want staff to also consider recommendation two, which has component A and B. So if we wanna have that discussion now, then we would refer to the full city council to have that discussion. So your, I think your motion oh, okay. is perfectly fine, which is to cross-reference it to a future city council meeting in April. Mid-April, yes. Mid-April. And I will leave it at for mid-April. So thank you, Johnny. Yes, that's a, <laughs> or worse. Uh, okay. Yes. The, <laughs> what Johnny mentioned. Okay, so, so yeah. I, my concern about the mid-April timeframe is because we're in the middle of budget uh, discussions and Item number B has budget implications. Yeah. So it won't be part of the mayor's March message, uh, their uh, budget documents and MBAs and all these things that are considered part of the budget. So I'm wondering if that analysis should be done before the budget. It seems to me it should be done in conjunction with the budget because it has implications to the general fund. Especially yeah, no, I, with a uh, negative balance. I mean, we're okay for 24, 25, but it doesn't right. look good no, for future years, so. I agree with you on that, yeah. So May, I, I don't know. I mean, I hear what you want to accomplish and I don't disagree with that. I'm concerned that in mid-April we won't have any more information from a budget okay. standpoint. So w then we'll say. But maybe we will, I don't know. Before, before, before June, so late May. Okay. We'll say for late May, so. You agree with that? You're oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, you're, the, you're my seconder, that's why. <laughs> no, I, before I say yes, I, you're concerned. I have a few, yeah. I just have sure. a few questions. Yeah, go ahead. I want this to be successful. Sure. So when did we first vote to approve uh, these billboards? What, what year was that? That was 2018. 2018, so 2019, 2020. so six years. 
Does it usually take six years for something? I know this, we're not inventing rocket science. This is something that's been done in other cities. I'm just trying to understand you know, the time frame of six years. Now, certainly this, has, this body of work has taken quite some time. And I'll re, um, remind this committee, because many of you weren't here, in fact, when this first started. Um, there were actually, in the beginning, two parts to this body of work. Um, actually looking at digital billboards on private property was one part, and then the second part on city-owned property. That part one was actually halted. So the city council, that was back in February of 2021, directed staff to stop work on all digital billboards on private property. At that time, we had actually done quite a bit of work, but per council direction, we halted that work. Uh, and now we've been focused on um, signage um, on city-owned city property. Okay. Um, and I, first, I just want to say I appreciate all the work you're doing. I know that this is very complex, and I don't mean to undermine or um, take lightly the amount of staff investment that this this just taken. I just, you know, thinking about, you know, this is an opportunity, and there has to be a benefit for our partners for us to move forward. It doesn't matter if, you know, and you know, another year, finally we're ready and our partners have moved on, or it's not exactly what they thought it was going to, to be, right? It, it, so we need to, you know, in order to secure this deal that hopefully will benefit our downtown uh, um, and will bring resources uh, to our downtown core, it, it feels like, I don't know, I, I, due to the speed that we're going, it's almost like my interpretation, and I think others could say, I don't know if we're don't want to make an opinion on this, we don't want to move forward with this, but that's my interpretation. I, to me, it, it just seems like from 2018 to 2024, I just, I just don't under, understand that, um, that, that timeline. And it's just, a, I feel like even as we push it out, I'm, I'm, more, I'm more reluctant to push it out because what if our partners just take a walk? Uh, thank you. So uh, initially, or Council Member Torres, you modified your motion to um, mid-April. Would you accept that? Yes. Okay. And okay. Chair Foley, um, I just want to make sure that staff is clear on the expectation when we do go to full council. So is it for staff to get this direction regarding to be? Um, because currently we don't have direction, and I'm, I'm looking at Blog A because what we're currently um, negotiating with the companies is what was currently, what was concluded in the RFPs that were issued. So if we're now asking for additional items, then staff needs to get that direction, and we then have to convey that um, to the companies that we're currently negotiating with. And um, Blog A, anything else to add there? because I'm looking at 2B that's currently not, has not been included. Uh, Rosalind, the way that I'm looking at 2B is that, yes, it's not anything that we have currently contemplated, um, but it is, it's how we are gonna be allocating the revenue that we receive from our company. So I don't think, it doesn't change the percentage that we ask for in the RFP, right? The, the minimum annual guarantee or the 33% the that we required and folks agree to, it will now be a reallocation of how we 
are, are going to be um, distributing our funds. Which, which might make us want to um, have a different conversation, but I don't, I don't think it's coming from, we're not gonna be asking for anything more of the companies. Okay, so it looks like the seconder just left, yeah. and we're at risk of losing our quorum. So, um, so we have a motion. I, I did have a couple of questions. It looks like it's gonna come back to us, and I know Councilmember Botter has some questions. So uh, before we lose quorum, Councilmember Botra. Okay, so I'm gonna now. Kind of need a clarification of what the final motion is, but I do have a comment even before that, that Councilmember Torres, you saw during the study session on the arts and all that, I'm not a fan of trying to have allocations of money to any particular things. I want the general funds to be general funds so that we have the flexibility to be able to prioritize the things which we need to. So I would prefer that whatever your motion is, you take that out of there so I can give you a friendly amendment on that one because in general you will never see me supporting any earmarks anywhere. And this would be an earmark in that sense. I'm supportive of art, I'm supportive of culture, I'm everything. But I just don't like the earmarks as a way because I never budget, manage the budget in my private life. I never had to deal with those kind of allocations where possible, okay? So I would like a clarification on whatever final thing is, but I would appreciate if you would take that to be out of there, okay? Well, I would, I would prefer, I would prefer your friendly amendment. I would, I would prefer that we, we, it, it goes to the general fund. Yeah, we're not, we're not voting on this right now. We are not voting on B. The motion is to, is item one and item well, that's four. That's right, that's correct. Okay. We are not moving on two or three. This is going to council in mid-April. Right. So we are not voting a, on item two. But but today we are saying take it to the council to, to B, right? 2A and 2B, right? So and I'm asking if, if uh, Council Member Torres would actually not even suggest taking it to the council. So for me, it is, it is very important to, to let folks know that if they're gonna, they're gonna bring in digital billboards into my district and most of these billboards are coming into my district, yes. right? That I, they, they, they need to make sure that we are really revitalizing our downtown San Jose and making sure that we have funding for vibrancy and our arts and, and place making in, in downtown. So I know, uh, you know, I know where you're, where you're coming from, but, um, but for me, I, I need to stand up to my district because my district is, is, is suffering the brunt of many of these digital billboards. Yeah. Uh, so, so that is why I, I, I fully yeah. agree that, but you know, to get, to get this, um, go, to get this meeting going, I, if that's a friendly amendment, then I will, I will go ahead and, and agree with, with, with you on that. But I, I do hope that, you know, we, we make sure that 
my downtown is protected from these downtown billboards. Yeah, and, and I, you already made the point, and some of the other people made the point, that the billboard themselves is not something, a penalty to you for which you need to get something. It is, a, it is enhancing your downtown. That's, that's the way we heard it. And if it is enhancing something, then I don't think we need to pay a penalty price for that one. And as a general rule, I told you about my, that I want to keep the general funds to be as general as they can stay. And so, so my request would be is that uh, we try not doing any allocations from there and justify the billboards on the basis of its own merits. I don't accept that. I don't accept okay. that. This is going to the residents yeah. are upset about these billboards. Therefore, there needs to be an offset to activate downtown and bring resources to downtown. It's impacting Omar's district. The resources should go to Omar's district. So, okay. you want to have my support? I think I've really made it very clear that uh, I That's do fine. not like That's fine. allocation. That's fine. That's fine. I won't have so, my support. So we are. <laughs> Again, we are not voting on item two. We are voting on item one, and we are voting on item four. We are not approving item two. If, uh, when this comes to council, if council member Torres wants to bring a memo at that time, he can file a memo, maybe a joint memo at that point with his Brown Act, regarding that specific, the specifics of possible fundings and allocations and earmarks and that sort of thing. Johnny, is that correct? I'm just trying to be as clear as possible with what we're voting on. We are not approving item two. We're not approving item three. Correct. So what, what's before you is just to accept staff's report and cross-reference for further city council discussion in mid-April. Um, this committee can give direction on what you want agendized for that discussion, but it will be a status update and there will be for further council discussion. And given the discussion that we've had now, staff already has heard about some concerns and some considerations by some of the council members here. So, so Chairperson, can I ask you one clarification here? Sure. That when you say we are not voting on two, we are not voting on three, are we in this committee, are we asking anything to the council that please consider two and three or ask the staff to, so as if two and three don't even exist, is that right? This is just like the item, the other two items that we approved, we accepted the staff report and cross-referenced it. That's all we did. Yeah. That's all we're doing here. Is that correct? Well, yeah, it's up to the committee. So you can just do it as simple as that, or you can cross-reference and direct staff to agenda a certain topic for discussion. So it's up to the committee. It can be as simple as step staff's report, cross-reference for further council discussion in mid-April. Done, right? So what we would bring to the city council would be the status report to the city council for further discussion. If the committee would like to direct staff to further analyze or agenda a specific topic, for example, 2A and 2B, that can be done as well. The, council, the committee would need to direct staff to do that as part of the motion. 
So we are asking something to be done with 2A and 2B. It's further analysis, right? No. Well, only if your motion says to include a staff analysis of these items. That's what it has to say. Include a staff analysis of these items. Yes. That's, and, and that's my motion, and I'm going and, and to keep it that way. Yes. Okay, so, so then the motion is to accept the, tell me if I'm wrong, accept the staff report, cross-reference to council in mid-April, with direction for staff to explore item 2A and B. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Is that yep. acceptable to the maker of the second? Okay. Is that clear, Council Member uh, It's very clear. Okay. Yeah. What, what, and include three. <laughs> well, I was just gonna ask about item three which um, I, I will share with this committee, we, we can't guarantee, in fact, that we would be able to complete the environmental um, review um, by September 2024, because at this point, we just don't know if we have to recirculate our environmental documents. I mean, that's currently our goal is to get this done by fall, but there's no guarantee. Yeah, we'll leave three out then. Okay. Vice Mayor Kamei. So, so in, in reality, we're not going to have the full scope of the information until the CEQA is completed and all of that. And, and the presentation today, we learned it's going to be at the end of the year in December. Is that correct? Including length of time that these leases are gonna be and all of that. That will all be sort of wrapped in. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay. Yeah, I, I had the impression that um, uh, things were already baked in and, um, and I, um, I know it has taken a long time, but I um, uh, respectfully disagree on, on this item, so um, I will not be supporting the motion. Okay, um, thank you. I ha had a, <laughs> so I was the only one who was here when, <laughs> when we voted on those two airport billboards. I was not here in 2018. I was here in 2021 when we halted the private property billboards through Councilmember Perales's motion. Uh, I have a couple of questions, and I, I realize that this is going backwards a little bit, but I have some questions about the implementation, and that is um, when we negotiated the, the uh, airport billboards, and I, I know the status of that right now, but we established a policy regarding takedown regarding um, green energy that was required, and uh, there may be other considerations that I'm not uh, thinking about currently. Would these new billboards be uh, uh, the new policy, I think it's 6.1, I could be wrong, apply to this, so where the six to one takedown? 
I believe that when this discussion happened, it was council direction to staff to amend the policy to include some other um, some other uh, considerations. That was amending the takedown policy. Um, I believe there's also some tree replanting in there. There's a few other things. Um, so staff's intention in kind of an effort to um, be as efficient as possible, staff's intention was to bring back those ordinance changes at the time that this package, was full package, was brought forward. Um, and so that, I think nobody at that time anticipated the delay in bringing this package forward. And so that's why um, I referenced earlier one of the companies that is a, a successful, or has been named as the Notice of Intended Award recipient was also involved in that discussion around the airport billboards and had agreed to make the adjustment to increase the takedown ratio at that time. So staff's intention in finalizing these lease negotiations is to go back to the two companies and ask for that new uh, takedown ratio. Which is the six, the six to, one to one takedowns, which would uh, is a huge benefit in the community because these are typically old and blighted and in uh, we'd want to make sure that we're moving removing them from districts that are heavily impacted but from these billboards correct and so that there are three freestanding uh, freeway facing uh, locations that are will be brought forward for consideration and so that would be a takedown of uh, 18 static billboards okay. great um, I had other questions that have now since been more or less answered. Uh, I, frankly, since th this is going to uh, Council for consideration, and uh, I actually, uh, too, objected to item 2B, um, but I don't object to exploring it because I think it's worth taking a look at, but I do concern, I am concerned about earmarks and uh, taking funds away from the general fund, knowing the impact that uh, the, the difficulty are, we're gonna have with our general fund down the line. So I think that's a discussion for the council, the full council to have when this comes back to council with a full analysis from staff as to the um, benefits, liability, risk, and have the budget office weigh in as far as what this, what this all means from a financial consideration. Uh, so with that, I am going to support the motion as it is, knowing that I'll have an opportunity to discuss it once we have more details down the line. Uh, with that, let's vote. I didn't see the count. Was it three, two? The screen is, there it goes, it's, okay. Uh, the screen is having technical issues right okay. now, um, but that passes with two no's from Batra and Kamei. Okay, thank you. I appreciate uh, the discussion and look forward to the full council having this discussion. I think it's worthy of the full council since mo the majority of the council today was not there for the prior billboard discussion. Um, with that, we're finished with that item and we move to open forum.
We have no public comment. Back to the committee. Then this meeting is adjourned. Thank you.